All right, views before the six. Here we are. Thrust. What up, man? <clears throat> I mean, yo, today's guest, you know him better than, way better than I do still, but oh, I mean, the guy's, a, the guy's yeah. a legend in his own right too, man. This dude, this dude needs to get, you know, recognized, so I'm just, I'm just glad we one of the first people to sit down and get up and personal. I know this dude since high school, man, dude, we did high school, like, talent shows, all kind of crazy stuff, man. I don't know. He needs to, you know, we got a splashy introduction, man. All right, yo. This week we got Frankenstein. Woo! Yeah. Frankenstein, yeah. Frankie, yes. Frankie, 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 Anna in the building. First question we ask everybody, were you born in Toronto? Yes, born and raised, Toronto General Hospital. A word, word. Okay, yo, what's your background? So both my parents are from the same town in Italy. Okay, word. I, immigrants, um, I call them late 60s, early 70s Italian immigrants. Actually, real, real off the top story, the reason why it's so interesting, we were supposed to be in New York. Okay. But my grandfather got denied entry. So to this day, I, I remember the dinner conversations, he's always hated America for the fact that they didn't allow him into the country. Nothing other than that. Word. Right? But <laughs> I, I sometimes think back how different my life would be been, if yeah. Frankenstein was born in New York, raised in New York, Word. and had a different flex, because we all know. Oh, they were, you were like, you were in term when that was being decided? That's right. Oh, that's wow. crazy. Okay. That makes yeah. the story a little different. Okay, that's yeah. cool. So they couldn't get in, so the entire family ends up in Toronto. I can okay. see hatred, man. Uh -huh. Look, my little pregnant right here, and you won't let me in this country here. This little child coming, man. Yo, you know man. I mean? So, <laughs> I mean, we all know how, how much a place you're around defines you. Word. I think that's why we're here. Right? Well, the reason we ask that to everybody is because... Toronto sound like everybody talks about the Toronto sound right and it, to me that's the mishmash of all the different cultures like you're an Italian guy he, you know DTS and Bronski are Jamaican guys like all those things factor into what is the Toronto sound you know what I'm saying so absolutely okay yeah. so what area did you grow up in grew up in St. Clair and running me okay where um at uh, a street called 44 Ravenel okay um next to Rockcliffe um Jane Warner Word. Yeah, yeah. Some people might recognize that. That's where I spent most of my days, to be honest with you. Jaden Wooler was the only spot that had basketball courts where we grew up near St. Clair. That's right. You used to play a lot of ball, right? I used to play a lot of ball. So, um, and I'm not sure if I'm leaping ahead here, but that's where I was first introduced to hip hop. No, that was the next question. How did you, how did you get into hip hop? Like, who were the first Toronto rappers you remember? First Toronto rapper? Um, you know what? I didn't really remember rappers more than I remembered Ron Nelson, to be honest. Okay, word. So, like, one to four Saturday afternoons, Ron introduced the entire city to hip-hop. Word. That man is responsible for it. I mean, so then how, did you, how did you find hip-hop? Like, how, what was your first... So, listen, when you hit the ball court, there was always somebody with a radio. Word. Always somebody, you know what I mean? So, you know, all of a sudden, you get on the court, and you got to remember, as a, I think I was like eight or nine, ten years old, something like that, those sounds that were coming from the box, I was I was never heard anything like that before. There wasn't like a TV station that I could go to. There wasn't a radio station that I could go to. Right. At that time, it just wasn't on even college radio, I don't think, as young as when I first heard it. So when I get to Jane and Warren, I'm playing ball with these guys, and, and the sound is coming, and all of a sudden I hear... Were they playing, was it on them like JVC? JVC boxes, you know what I mean? Right. I'm hearing right. um, okay, cool. Houdini, you know what I mean? I'm hearing like the real Roxanne and all that kind of stuff. And I was getting an education without knowing it. So I'm sitting there on these courts, you know what I mean, and, and people are playing this stuff, and all of a sudden I, st I started seeing them dance. I thought it was dancing, but it was break dancing. Word. So I got taught as a young kid by those around me what it was. And when I'd come home and explain it 
to my parents, they thought I was talking like a completely different language. They thought I was. You guys got to remember again, going back, you couldn't turn on a TV station or Google something to show yeah. your folks what you just seen. Mm -hmm. You know, the boys on my street that weren't into it. Now, I got to tell you, um, those years I took a lot of heat from some of the kids on the street because they were all Italian. Mm -hmm. And they weren't listening to hip hop. Word. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I was, you know, I was coming back with like, yo, you need to check this. You got to see the way this dude moves. You got to see this guy spinning on his head. Like, I was fascinated. Just blown. Day one, blown away. Mind blowing. You Word. know what I mean? So, and I was going to school at Rockcliffe, which is at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Walner. So, Rockcliffe was a hip hop school. Mm -hmm. It just, that's it. You know what I mean? It was, it was an education I got what every year? day. What year? Give a time out of um, years. We're before. talking, let's say maybe 80. Two, eighty three, eighty four. You know what I mean? Like those kind of years, mm -hmm. right? Like just, just being bombarded on a daily. You know what I mean? I was getting an education in class, and then at you know recess and after school, I was getting a whole new education, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of acting, a whole new way of being. That's what hip hop was. Word. And should still be in my mind. But that's that's what drew me in because people could understand. You know. Is when I got back to explain to them the music and this and like they couldn't understand that it wasn't just the music. It was the whole. It was, it was everything. The culture, it was the, the culture. The elements. The elements. It was yeah. the culture of like you embrace this, you're embracing us, and there was a you know a certain nod when you're walking down the hallway. The ballers knew who the ballers were. Mm -hmm. The hip hop heads knew the hip hop heads. Yes. It was like yes. it was an acknowledgement. Yes. Unity. You know what I mean? And Thrust and I experienced it because we went to the same high school, but it was an automatic connection, which was like you know I don't need to totally know you to know you kind of expression. Yeah, because it's just yeah. the vibe. You yeah. catch it from the other person, yeah. right? And I, like I said, when, when Roxanne Shantae came out and, and the disc battles were starting to happen, the bridge is over and all that stuff, and that was our way of like being, you know what I mean, in tune with the, I don't know, I don't know how to even call it, the veracity of it. Like it was just the, the compassion around the music and it had nothing to do with money. That, that was the amazing thing. Like those rappers that we were listening to, I don't remember them talking about cash. You know what I mean? Right. That came later. So I was introduced to it in a way, in its true art form, in, in my opinion. You know what the word is? I'm going to say for your boy, boy in the room, a boy hanging out in the interview, the word innocence. It was Correct. innocent. Was yeah, about. yeah. Like innocence too. Like you've seen the, his, if your pop had that innocent. Okay, so then how do you, how do you find Fantastic Voyage? So Fantastic Voyage, very interesting. So I'm listening to all this stuff and I'm like, where are you guys getting this stuff from? And right. like, Frank, if you want to be up on it, Saturdays one to four. Now I had a problem. I didn't have a box. I didn't have a JVC box. Couldn't record it. So I remember. I think it was that summer when I approached my parents and said, "Hey, listen, my next birthday gift, I want a radio." I didn't know what type. I just wanted a radio, a big radio. You know what I mean? Okay. So we go downtown and I buy my first JVC box. And from that point on, I mean, I got literally hundreds and hundreds of audio cassettes recorded, like all the Ron Nelson shows. You still have it? All the shit? I still oh, have it. Yeah. I mean, some, some crazy See, ass. Man. And that's what I'm saying. Ron, to me, was a teacher. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he was a DJ, but he was much more than that. Yeah. In, in fact, I totally think he doesn't get enough homage on what he did for hip hop in this city. Because he, he yo, got man, I, I will say this, man. Did you see the latest now, man? He just got the cover. Oh, he got the, yeah, okay, yo, so man. I stand corrected. Yeah, I stand corrected. Yeah, so you know what? People, yo, we've been trying to get Ron on forever, still, man. Like that's you know that's a big episode for us because he is a big part of this. He's our right? man, and he's come up in every single episode. So that Ron, undefinitely, is Canada's like version of Cool Herc. So yo, you go, you go to concert hall and shit. 
Of course, yeah. I was at every concert hall, every Monster Jam, every barbecue. Yo, you're the yeah. first guy who brought up Monster Jam, by the way. Yeah, Continue. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, Chick Dynasty sound systems. Yeah. Like, you know, the culture around hip-hop in Toronto at that time, like the way Thrust says Innocence, there, there was just a passion that was undeniable. So what I'm saying is it wasn't sold to me. It compelled me. It's a little different than what yeah. I see now with music. Like, music is sold to the kids now. Right. It's, it, it's a selling machine. We all know that. Mm. Corporate got involved, what have you. But when I was on the basketball court, when I was in school, nobody sold it to me. It wasn't like, hey, you better. It was me inquiring, me searching. That made it more intimate because I had to discover it. Right. Versus it being force-fed down my throat saying, hey, you should buy this. You should buy that. You, nobody was telling you buy anything. And it was actually really rare for a white kid to be into hip-hop like that at them times, right? At, yeah. At, and them times, I mean, you know, Thrust and I go way back, but... You know, I was always colorblind for me, but I, we obviously, right. we weren't ignorant to the fact that there was stuff happening in the U.S., you know what I mean, that, you know, we didn't quite experience here, of course, but that was everywhere in a sense that, and I think I said this to you before when we were having an earlier conversation, something that I was always really aware from the beginning was that hip-hop was a culture and I was its guest. You know what I mean? Right. It wasn't my culture. So I always behaved like a guest, which is like honor it and try and be in the place it sees you to be. So I come mm -hmm. to your home, it's like, hey, you want me to take off your shoes? Yeah, I'm gonna take off my shoes. You want me to be in that room? I'll be in that room. So for me, hip hop, as much as I lived it, breathed it, I knew that it was a culture that I was being introduced to as a guest. It didn't belong right. to me. I mean, so I always held it in that high esteem that I was like, what's the best way for me to honor this art form? That was always really important to me. I mean, and I think because of my outlook and, and my disposition around it, it allowed those that were in it already to be like, they were colorblind. They didn't see me as a white guy anymore. They just they saw, saw me. you as hip hop. They just saw me as hip hop because and in, that's Toronto, what it was. in Toronto, it was like wasn't about you. Just had to be thorough. Like we just couldn't be plastic. The hip hop scene at that time, yeah, no fakes. Like, dude, I'm not trying to say it was like 1,200 people and they real. Everybody real. And yeah. because the rest got filtered out, beat down, run out, Sarasota bottle in the head, some something happened to you. You know what I mean? That's right. And you was out. Even the acts, man. All the acts on stage that you know them names, there was a bunch more that you don't hear about, but you know why you don't hear about them? Because they got booed, pulled off the stage, beat down, bottle. Toronto was like at that time. So, yeah. Okay, cool. so you're going, you're going to the concert so, halls and all that stuff, right? That That's right. That's how, yeah. how do you start, like, do you start DJing? Do you start, how do you get into rapping? Were you making beats first? How did, like, give me that timeline. So... I was introduced to music at a real early age. Right. My, my dad, um, when I was, I think, as young as junior, senior kindergarten, introduced me to the Royal Conservatory for classical accordion playing, if you can believe that. Italian kid playing an accordion. Of course I can. So all of a sudden, I'm playing the accordion, and I start hearing, like, you know, certain breaks and stuff like that, you know what I mean? And, and I start making them up even on my accordion kind of thing, right? So by the time I hit Rockcliffe, which is like grade seven, grade eight, all of a sudden I get graduated and now I'm playing the saxophone. So now I'm starting to play yeah. a lot of like jazz and, and I start seeing the similarities between what's being sampled, the jazz and whatnot. So I think it was my uh, grade eight birthday where I was like, I gotta get myself a drum machine. And to be honest with you, the legend next to me, I mean, there's already buzz going around, but by the time I get a drum machine, I'm like, I need more. Then Day puts me on to sampling. Oh, so you knew Dave from back then. That's yeah. right. Shot Claire's manager, Dave, went to, to, to run a meeting. We knew well. Dave, like, way before Shot Claire. Okay, word. Right, so... Right, we, we knew Dave for, like, two years before Shot Claire even was even... Before they even did that record. That's right. We actually mastered Frank's, uh... Was it Payne you mastered? Mm -hmm. Payne. 
and then my EP, and then the Socrates, the Socrates, Father years. Time, and Twenty One Years is all mastered the same day. We were all together. We were all linked because me, Day, and him had okay, this connection, all together. and we linked the master the same. So that was the day actually we all met. That's the day we met Shots too. So it was like this unity, but that was all tied. But we were friends before. Okay, okay. The precursor yeah. to it was, and I'm not sure if you've ever read Plato's Republic, but I felt that Toronto's scene, the cats that we're talking about, we were almost scholarly looking at it. Like we were very much into the connoisseur of hip hop, meaning like if a record got played, I remember even talks in the cafeteria, we'd be very judgmental of anything coming up. That's what kind of led to the desire to make it because all of a sudden, like, you know, a new record would drop, another would drop, and we'd be all kind of dissecting it, what we loved about it, what we didn't like about it. That was whack or it wasn't whack or what have you. But at that point, I started realizing that just listening to it wasn't enough. Just recording it wasn't enough. Okay. I had to be about it. That, it was almost like there was a gap. You know what I mean? It's almost like somebody, like, trying to preach to you about a certain religion, but you've never attended a church. And you've never actually got into it. So, well, hold on. You were saying something. What did you say something about what was Okay, yeah. You were saying you were, you the got this. What was, yeah, what was so the first, first drum machine? machine was yeah. a Roland R5. Okay. Roland R5. I went down to Steve's Music. Yeah. You know, big city. Remember, like, I'm going down there by myself. I had, like, you know, cash in my pocket, and I'm getting this Roland R5. So I ended up getting that drum machine. Thrust probably remembers we used to bring that drum machine to the cafeteria and yeah. we used to play it in the auditorium and we'd make beats right on it. And so at the same time, oh, yeah, Day is producing. Right, we used to do all kinds of things, right? At do you remember what Day was using? Day was using an Insonic sampler. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Insonic Mirage. Like an EP. Oh, a Mirage. Okay. He was okay. using a Mirage okay. at the time, right? So all of a sudden, Day starts to say, hey, Frank, I'm hearing what you're doing, but you can do a little bit more with a sampler. And all of a sudden, I started getting introduced to the world of sampling. And it just skyrocketed from there because then I started getting introduced to breakbeat shopping. All of it started happening at one time. You'd be like, this is how dudes are putting records together. And because we were all rolling in a, in a certain click, if you will. And what was really interesting, I used that word click, but it wasn't a defined click. It wasn't like, hey, I'm part of this. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it wasn't a name. It was a philosophy more than anything else. Right. So we would be exchanging ideas. Um, in fact, remember Gus, we had a good friend of mine would come in the, in the uh, auditorium and bring his saxophone out and he started playing some of the riffs I from, remember you remember um, Rex in Effect? So like we had live musicians sometimes come in the auditorium with us that were in the school band, Dude, keyboard. We had a real vibe. I mean, Running Mead's cafeteria had turntables. Mm -hmm. DJs would actually spin, like students would spin during okay. the cafeteria time. Yeah. Right? So we were... Through and through, we were pretty much a hip-hop school. Now, there were a lot of other people that weren't into hip-hop that attended, but the school itself... See, Running Me was a, was a known school, but it wasn't a lot of people that went to Running Me, too. It wasn't one of those schools like, oh, it was so many people, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the dudes that went to Running Me... There was a pedigree. There was a pedigree. There the was pedigree serious. Was serious. And, and it was one of those James. It was like the school... Was there that, any rap? Who was It was right on James, too. Like, it was one of those Besides schools. you, who else was a rapper from there? Huh? G-Wonder. G-Wonder from there. Um... They, um, even think, even Frankie uh, used to come through there. His sister used to, what was it, Jug and I had some time. Um, oh, French Frankie. Frankie. There's ties, like he used to ties there. Um, well, Cause all the Wilner cats, right? Yeah. Cause from Wilner. Well, Maddock, I know Maddock and them guys used to roll down. They used there, to so all, there's family right? connections. So people right. always, and then, the next, and Weston was just up the street. So people from Weston, when Michi was in Weston, right. they always right. come between Weston and running me. And we had the best basketball team in the city for like, Era, so that made the vibe too, right? So we had yeah. the ball vibe, 
And then you had like the music side, the creative side, right? It was like, but it and was a small school. Though. The ball side place. was impactful because the coach at the time recruited players from different areas because Runnymede was very close to a predominantly white neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the coach was very competitive and he would go on recruiting missions. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he'd be grabbing cats from Jungle, he'd be grabbing cats yep. from Jane and Finch. So the guys that were my teammates were, again, teaching me the culture of where they were growing up. Now my street wasn't like their street, mm-hmm. but when you start to associate and you're playing ball with these dudes and we're sharing stories and they're, oh, you know, what, what are you pumping in your headphones? What am I, you know, I remember I had my Walkman and the back of my Walkman, I had, um, you know, stickers of Big Daddy Kane, MC Light, you know what I mean, um, Karis One, and dudes would be like, yo, Frank, do you listen to that stuff? Let me show you what I'm listening to. So it was almost like, just by osmosis, you know what I mean, I was getting introduced to not just hip hop, but culturally around the city. Like, how does a Jane and Finch dude think versus the way a dude who's living at St. Clair running me to Rex the other, you know what I mean? So the ball was also a bridge, you know what I mean, to getting a little bit more acquainted with this hip-hop stuff and that's yeah. why I say to me to this day that I never felt that I was sold on it it was like just organic by and being I around think, it I think we even knew then that the city had a sound like every area like there was a jungle sound there was a you know a red still sound there was garbage so I was trying to always have that identity within the music diaspora and even with the talk diaspora we knew that you know what I mean you could right. talk when we talk well that's some jungle jungle is talk you know what I'm saying yeah. downtown Espinal like that's right. Boom, was always t- we always had that. And always. that ball culture, for me, extended into that world. Exactly. Because as a baller, we wanted to play against the best ballers in every yeah, part. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. remember going up to James Lynch <laughs> and balling, or going to York Humber, or going to Rexdale to ball in certain gyms. And a lot of cats would be like, Frank, you can't go to them places unless you know somebody. And I was like, I would always roll with my team, or someone from the team. So that they'd be like, no, Frank's with us. So all of a sudden, yeah, you were down by law. I was down because of association. So what started yeah. happening is, for, for me, hip-hop permeated that basketball feeling. You know what I mean? So when I started to get into involved in the music, it was the same thing. Who are the hottest MCs? Where are they from? And we talked about this. To me, I didn't really care what part of the city you were from. If you were hot, I wanted to connect with you in some way. Right. right? So it was like just the same way that we balls like, yeah, I can see you can ball, you can you can be on my team. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you don't like green, that's cool with me. As long as you can ball, we're good. Right. It's, it's part of a little bit of the vibe. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then what started to happen at least to me, was I started realizing, man, I'm more like these dudes than I think I am. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was telling you about, like for me, hip hop was colorblind, because a lot of times I never saw the artists. You heard the artists way before you ever saw, saw them. them yeah. Like right? when I first heard House of Pain, I thought they were black still. Mm-hmm. Right, so you know what, what I mean? Because Put Your Head Out is the first song I ever heard. That's a crazy dope record too. Right, and I thought they were black, and then the next song that comes out is Jump Around. I'm like, holy shit, these guys are white, man? Yeah. <laughs> well, what I, so what I understand I lo- that, you know what, what I mean? What I loved about it, I mean, I remember going to a club called the A Club. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. the dress back mm-hmm. in the early 90s, late 80s. And the first time I ever heard Rakim was in this club where the DJ said, hey, I'm about to drop something on you. And he played um, Eric B for president. Okay. Now, people are losing their mind, but you have to remember, they're being introduced to something sonically only, not visually. They don't know what the guy looks like, where he's from. They don't know anything. It's just you're being introduced to stuff always sonically first, mm-hmm. which creates a different experience for for the person, the listener, because that's exactly what you're doing, you're listening. So, you know, you've probably heard this a million times, if all of a sudden I took your eyesight away for a year, you'd experience the world a lot differently. Right. For me, I find it tough to deal with the way people experience music today because they're introduced to it visually and sonically at the same time. It just shouldn't be. That changes music right off the onset Mm -hmm. because now they're stimulating you visually 
and sonically, where sonically your own mind creates the visions. And it's right. to have a more intimate effect on you. And for me, Rakim had an incredible intimate effect. Because right after that, he plays Move the Crowd. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, suddenly I had this. The way he flowed at that time was again like nothing I had ever heard. So you go back to the lab and now you start trying to emulate stuff that you're hearing. Again, from a sonic perspective. And that was what I was saying as far as you know the whole introduction to it. Right. That's mm-hmm. it in a very long-winded way because, you know, it, it's amazing because it's not like a definable moment. It's an evolution, right? So if there, it wasn't really like, hey, this is the moment I'm into hip-hop. Right. It wasn't quite like that. Although, the, like I said, the first time I heard it, there was something different enough about it that made me have to learn more about it. Right. And not too many things, even to this day, do that for me. And you think about it in that yeah, context. It changes yeah, the it way changes, you changes experience anything because we watch, you know, you might watch something on TV. What causes a person to get up and say, I got to know more about this? Right. And that's why hip hop, I think, is around still today because it had that influence on yeah, me. People and thought it was going to be a fight that fad, right? That was the energy of it, though. Oh, man. The I energy was just putting up on it, dude. Okay, so oh, they're yeah. up on it. Oh, later, man. Don't ride with- Dude, you had to be up on, dude, if you was up on the songs the next day, if you wasn't up on the record the next day, if you didn't know the lyrics, dude, if I, if I remember for the first six years I listened to hip-hop, if you did not know the lyrics to the new song or the hot song, like That's The right. Rock and the King, if you didn't know by three days, you couldn't even hang with us, you couldn't even go out, you couldn't get, right, no, right, right. you couldn't even get no girls, you, yeah. you couldn't get nothing, Right. like you couldn't get girls, didn't matter how much, like, dude, you, you don't know, That's girls right. be like, you don't know the song, man, like, they know the song. Okay, so then when you're crazy, like Slick Rick and all of them, people never seen what Slick Rick bang. I said, dude, I see Slick Rick bang, and it was a crazy thing because I, just, I heard it out of every car, every Jeep, every store, every corner, right. everywhere I went. That's right. That was like the biggest artist I ever seen had a reign over the hip hop when I was in New York. And I go, this is the power of hip hop. I go, this is insane. I've been in New York for two weeks, and all I hear, every bell truck, like every cell phone, everything was placed. Like you see, your Snoop was big in LA. When Snoop came out, and Snoop was big in New York. Now that's another Slick Rick had it like. That's right. I was like, wow, the power of hip hop. But this is, you could do this with music, man. Like, this could affect this many people like this. That's, that's it was exactly just, the I was effect. like, wow, dumbfounded, man. Like, and no marketing, nothing, dude. This ain't no well, marketing, no whole different time. No radio. Like, this is just off the ears. Of Without people. marketing, the people that just say this is right. pure yeah. word of mouth, right? Like, wow, no flyers, yeah, no, said, no TV, no radio ads saying, hey, go pick up this record. It was surely on word of mouth and what it did. To and it was spreading like three days, four days. Within four days of that thing coming out, dude, people, you know what the record is, the record is, dude. And you right. couldn't tweet about it. You couldn't, you know what I mean? It's like, you gotta remember, it's like you couldn't do any of the stuff we do today that we take for granted. You couldn't do any of that stuff. So that's the power of it. That's why when people were saying to me, I remember at the time I heard the word fad around it several times. In fact, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that hip hop was a fad, and I would defend it like a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? For me, it was like I'm defending this thing like the essence it deserves. And the same thing came out of my mouth. One day, hip hop will take over the planet. And in 2017, we already know how much hip hop influences how many aspects of everything. The way people dress, designers, you know what I mean? It's when McDonald's is using it in fucking commercials, come on man. That that's exactly what I'm talking about. Back then people were saying, hey, it was a fad, but I was I wasn't going off of that. I was just going off of instinctively. How if it, can, if it can do this to me and it can do it to everybody, everybody around me. To it knew it was no way it was going away. 
That was just somebody who's never heard it and listened to it. Like, it was undeniable. No matter what state, what city, what province, if you were in England, Brixton, it doesn't matter. Everybody just knew when you were like, yo, man, you crazy. You just never really listened to this and you just don't, you're not hip. Alright, so when do, you guys, when do you guys start Delphi Oracle? So Delphi Oracle was right around, I would say, let's say 88, 89. Okay. Something like that. And um, AZ, right. we started, he was one of the best friends, again, from grade school. We were always, again, in the cafeteria doing what we love doing, listening to him. <coughs> right. um, AZ, believe it or not, was the first one to introduce me to Public Enemy. Okay. So this public enemy sound. So I was into hip hop, but I wasn't really, you know, checking for public enemy stuff at the time. And it could have been as simple as like the message, you know, as a white kid wasn't hitting me because public enemy was very, you know what I mean? Militant. Militant, you know what I mean? Right. But what was interesting is Alex kind of opened my eyes to how important public enemy was to the sound and to the fact of the message of what they were saying. It's like nothing in hip hop was doing that quite the way. No, um, so he he allowed me, I think, to learn a little bit because I was kind of stuck in one form of it, and all of a sudden he hits me with this public enemy stuff, and the sounds were just so freaky. Like what public enemy was doing at the time was like again, every time you heard their record, it was like you know walking to the Terror Dome and you know what I mean, creating my Uzi ways a ton, and you know what I mean. Yeah. When I started to understand why they were doing the music they were doing, it made me realize even more why I needed to be protective of this thing called hip-hop because, it, again, it didn't belong to me. It didn't belong to, you know what I mean, to yeah. anyone in that way. So I started listening to that and, and we started to have a lot of conversations around the philosophy of doing a record that kind of elevated us in, in that mental way, right? So AZ and I, all of a sudden, we get together and we create really just one record at the time, Peace and Quiet. Right. And I think I said this to you when we were talking earlier. The last record that we did was Peace and Quiet because that month, I don't think even Thrust knows this, AZ's sister ends up getting murdered by her boyfriend. Wow, and, okay. And that, that creates like a major shift in AZ just as a person. As a person, you know what I mean? So let's just talk a little bit more about AZ. Like who, like how did you, how you guys met through school and stuff like we that? We met right? through school. We went to, you know, George Syme, which is a school, like the pre, you know, precursor to Rockcliffe. Right. And then from Rockcliffe, we both went to Runnymede. So we had a lot of history. Like, I met AZ in kindergarten. Like, I'm okay. talking that kind of history. So we were in every class together, you know what I mean, going through. We played on the same sports teams when we were in grade school. And so when we get when we get to um, to Runnymede for the first little bit, he kind and of... And AZ's also a white guy. Let's just, AZ's also a white let's guy. Let's just right. clarify that, right? right? And AZ lives at Jane and Wooler. So he lives in those buildings. Okay. At Jane and Wooler. So he, he was from, let's say the opposite side of the tracks that I was from. So my, my family was more blue collar, middle class. You know what I mean? He was he was living some hardship. <coughs> he was in the hood. Right? He, was right. in the, he was in the hood. And, you know, he we'd walk to school. I'd hook up with him. He's like, Frank, you know, he'd be breaking down all the stuff that's happening to him. You know what I mean? So it started to at least influence me in the sense that I had an appreciation for where he was coming from. Even though I wasn't living it every day, I right. was living it, you know what I mean, vicariously through my boy next to me. You know what I mean? So we, we have this... You know, idea that hey, no, no matter what, we're gonna try and put out a record together, and that's how the first and last record that we put out together, Defy Oracle, happened. You know I mean, so we recorded, um, we did it, and this is what's interesting about the story. We sh went to New York with the demo tape first, and we got shot down pretty well with everybody. 
Anywhere we went, he's like, yeah, great kids, leave the tape. You know what I mean? How'd you get the knees just right off the back of like... Trust is going to love this because we used to talk about this. So <laughs> we would literally copy down the addresses <laughs> to every record label in New York, payday, sleeping bag, loud, you name it. Um, and the one that showed me a little bit of love, believe it or not, was Chemistry Records, who had put Diamond D out. Diamond D, word. Okay. So we go in there. It was the first... This is a funny story, actually. We go in there, and we thought we had to be extra. You know, we're going to New York. It's like, we got to be full of life, top of it. So I walk in. I'm like, I want to know. And I, and I was almost shouting. I'm like, I want to know who the fucking A&R is in here. We're about, you're about to sign the fucking best actor. Like, just some stupid kid stuff. So what's, what's crazy is, do we get a meeting with him? No. Security comes and throws us out. The rest of the two-day trip that we had there, AZ looks at me and says, like, yo, you can't do any more talking. You know what I mean? You just sit there. We're going to hand our tape. So later that night, before we leave, the only person that called us back was Brian Chin, A&R from Chemistry Records. Okay. He calls up, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, listen, your stuff is okay, not good enough for us to press, mm-hmm. but I admired the gumption and your energy walking into that office and the way you guys work. Yeah. So keep doing what you're doing. That's what he says to us. So believe it or not, we come back, and that's when we made a decision to say, hey, listen, we're just going to turn this demo into vinyl. We take the peace and quiet from the tape, put it on record, and go back to Manhattan, and we just start giving out. I think we gave out like 5,000 12 inches. Wow. wow. Something like Wow, that's crazy, crazy at that time. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we, we, everything that on we made. On your own dime, obviously. On our own dime, just because we believed in it. Oh, wow. And um, the first people to play it were Stretch and Bobito. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, we, we started getting a little bit of love. I mean, there were so many of them out there, and I think at that time, you gotta remember, getting a piece of music that nobody else has, back then meant something. Yes. Because yes. now getting a piece of music nobody has, you just Google and you can get it. Well, it all comes out, we can all get it at the same time. Exactly, though, right? right? Yep. So the fact that these guys had a piece of vinyl that somebody else didn't have, allowed them to be like, hey, I'm breaking a record. You don't have this? Mm. You don't have this? So we hit all the college radio stations that, you know, we, again, just word of mouth, we were asking, you know, which college radio is playing hip hop? Who do we need to hit? We were trying to find the Ron Nelsons of that world. You know what's funny? I seen Camillo, all those guys now. They're all like huge now. We was rolling with them dudes like they know us mm-hmm. back then. Like we were on the tapes, I could bring it all, play it. Right. We would Same do all nighters, so like we would Same drive back and around. forth. Yeah. Um, we got a lot of college radio guys that would call us up and say, "Hey, you know, can you do an interview this Saturday?" And it'd be like Thursday. And we, because we had our phone numbers on the back, we, like, we would drive down and do radio interviews, just like 15 minute radio interview in Brooklyn at some college, we'd go down. We were kind of nuts. Sorry, I'm trying to go back because he has a good question. In the story, like, when was it the point that you actually made that link? Because you were distributed by who eventually? Just so people know. Okay, so I was. You, like your label, because you, you didn't just stay up here. That's and right. So, trips to New York. what we ended up doing was. We didn't just press it, but we created our own label out of the entity. I think that's what yeah. thrust is in there. So we kind of started to look at it and say, hey, listen, the only way we're going to get put on is to put ourselves on. I mean, right. So we created the label, and all of a sudden, without totally realizing it, I mean, there was thought behind it, but not we didn't see the full impact of it. When we came that, hey, we just got signed to a label, at the time, they didn't know it was our label. Right. DJ's just thinking, yo, if they got signed to a label and it's out there, it just changed. This is what really taught me about music back then. All of a sudden, the impression, mm-hmm. by going from tape to record, changed the impression of how people saw you. It was yeah. the same music. Yeah. Well, you know now I mean? we're on, the, on that format. Now. Right. Now, now it was on a 
you know, they're taking you more seriously. They now, took right? you more seriously. So this kind of goes back to you. Know, you want to be taken serious. Well, how? You know what I mean? What are you putting into it? What okay, so let's just talk, let's just talk about this for a second because you're saying we're talking about knowledge self. That's right, knowledge self record. You guys started your own label, and what year was that? That year would have probably been 88, 89, right around the time. So Delphi Oracle gets done as a demo, and around right. there is where we start going to New York and trying to get it out there. So you guys essentially are the first independent label, hip-hop, from here. One up, because at the one time... Because you guys are... Because Knee Deep? Knee Deep pressed shortly after us, and when right. I say shortly after, I'm talking like maybe weeks after us. Okay, I mean, we're not so who here. was it, what label would have been before? There was Eugene's, Eugene's uh, label. Steppin' Bigger? Steppin' Bigger. There was, the first record was this dude, Sneaky D, and that's what Logic's record was on. And that was from like- So that was a label though? Yeah, it was a label, press record, cover, oh, okay, okay. full pictures, pictures on the back, all the artists. It was like- 88, 89 It was in sure. stores everywhere. Like, it was Beat, Beat Factory was a label too though, right? Yeah, but that's right. came later. But they came a bit later. Came a bit later. There before. After, right. Oh, they came right. after Knowledge Yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, it worked. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like right, they were right around that time. But the thing about it was, what people don't understand, it was like, who else? It was Treehouse, Cassidy's right, and Kane's Treehouse, label. Citizen. They came along. I told her now? At the same time, Groove A Lot. It was Treehouse. Oh, okay. Groove A Lot. Groove A Lot, that's right. Knee D. Because Boiling Point came right? on, on Groove A Lot, which we mixed at the time. But there was... In that period, it was almost like they started springing up. Yeah, but we all right. kind of came on the same But time. you guys essentially were the first. One of. I don't know if I could take that. I don't know if I could take that. But one of the first three or one of the first five, you know, guaranteed. Word. Okay. I say in the chronological yeah. order. Word. Well, I, I was going to say the difference was there was a lot of people doing it, but some of them, because of the way we ended up getting our distribution, like we were through Fat Beats and other That's right. And then we were a Groove Attack, too. That's right. 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 And right. we were so... Some, some people were just like, okay, I did the little record, it was in Canada. Some people were in Canada, U.S., but the difference with Frank and myself and a few others, we were like in Canada, U.S., England. Germany, England, Japan. Japan. Yeah. We like they know our records out there. We were all over. It wasn't like we just, we was actually, it was like a worldwide That's release dope. because we got distribution. We were talking, we were the That's first right. artists that we released. It was right. like, oh, you can say throw us Frank's time. Um, who else was on us? A few other shit. That's when we yeah. did the um, super rapping. That's right. With artists, we were, a lot of you were always on, and you look back in the catalog. You know, say so it's cool. It's, we had even your publishing deal. All that. That's stuff. right. I was. Um, I had a publishing deal with EMI in London, England. Mm. Okay. And so, um, but this is all after. This is all after. that happened after that. Those well, first launches. Because of the label. But like, the label. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The label allowed us to grow into that. You know what I mean? So, getting back to you, saying people were taking us more serious. Right. In fact, that we had our own in-house studio allowed us to control the sound meaning you know I mean it was a lot of it was premeditated which allowed us to have a bit of that control and I think that's okay. what what a lot of people dug about what we were doing I got all kinds of questions about the studio like well, all the equipment and stuff the question right? is like we were talking earlier about even just because there was only a few studios really a lot of this like era stuff was recorded well listen huh? so we need to like Kind of, we never really touched on it yet, but you're one of the few people in the we, we talk about it, Gadget yeah, we a lot, talk right? Yeah. And like Gadget, as you know, like Gordo was the last guy on and all that stuff. And like, we talk about Gadget because Gadget was the fucking, like, there wasn't a record that Gadget didn't touch. But then I really started thinking about it. I'm like, yo, you did a lot of records too, though, man. Like, there's, there's very definitive engineers in Toronto. So like, I mean, you're a producer, a rapper. Now let's talk about, like, I mean, there's engineering too, right? Like you, Tyson, Gadget, Gordo. That's right. Power. I mean, Power. And Dave. 
day. And that was right. Much it, dude. For almost every record, and then, worth and then, mentioning and then, one of those. And guys. then before that, it would, right. it would have just been like Howard Hughes and, and First Offense. That's right. And that, and, and then what Beat Factory had in their camp, and that was it. That's right. There was nobody else. Like everybody knew the houses. You know what I mean? In Kano's basement. You okay, sit there. Quantum. I know. I know. But that was one spot, right? right? That formulated. To people going to Frank's house, like there was a tie between that and the people meeting there. Da da da. da. Oh, we gotta record this thing we just did out the SP and I mean, let's the grassroots. This this this, and then they end up going to Frankie Adams up to the lab we'll, we'll, and yeah. recording. So we'll talk about like I want to talk like very extensively about equipment and shit because I'm a nerd like that. You know what I mean? I like that. Okay, but I mean we'll talk about that after. I mean, you guys do the first single. We do the first single, and that's that's with Az Peace and Quiet, right? You know, Az's sister. Ends up, like I said, getting murdered by by her boyfriend. It creates an incredible shift in, in him as an individual and our dynamic. So music was no longer a priority in his world, and understandably so. You know what I mean, so the next record I do is the pain. Pain, yeah. And the pain is Call, Toronto classic. Man. Is mm-hmm. is pretty well the most heartfelt thing I ever did because it was around that energy you know what I mean and mm-hmm. my Frankenstein sound ends up evolving into that for a good chunk of time for whatever reason mm-hmm. I mean I just like kind of dark grimy that's right and with the horns and those that's right you know what's funny you mentioned earlier which I never knew how you were playing during those instruments you said earlier in the interview that's right that you played when I hear your sound and your production that's where you got it from like that I must hear that like it influenced you like you're saying those certain like the sounds the sound orchestrally you know because you know yeah. when you're trained in you know like Bach and Mozart and that, when you're trained in how they piece together like 25 instruments to play a chord you right. start to understand like the philosophy of why they call those guys geniuses um, Quincy Jones is like that like mm-hmm. Quincy Jones can write a symphony when you start to understand that certain producers have the ability to do that it changes you know what I mean the dynamics of the sound so the pain and all the things that start happening start to influence my sound completely in one direction, you know what I mean? And if I had to give you, for me I used to call it like the hip hop triangle as far as my sound, which was, you know, like the soul of Pete Rock, the boom bap of Primo, and the moodiness of RZA. That's the Frankenstein sound. Okay. And, and, the, and the bass is Marley Marl, you know what I mean? Like that's the base of the pyramid. Because Marley was like, first three seconds, you love his joints. Mm-hmm. It always has to have something like that. But if you ha- if I had to, you know, capsulate exactly my sound, those are the three figureheads. Not taking anything away from Dre, you know what I mean, or some other incredible producers that you know what I mean that I haven't mentioned. But at that time, my sound was most influenced by those three. You know what I mean, and honorable mentions to you know Tribe Called Quest and Dayline, right. you know what I mean, um, Prince Paul and everything that we grew up loving. You know what I mean. But my personal sound, the pain, is a mix of that kind of stuff. And, right. and it evolved. That record has such an air to it. No, it's like yeah. one of those records that I've never heard another record have that air to it. Exhibit has a record that almost has an air to it. Um, no, wait. Can what's I that one of his first singles? The video. Stop the lead. Listen. Uh, what's the what you see is what you what get. What you see is what you, you get. See. Now, it has that feel like there's an air to it at um, Gangstar? Well, I always wait. wait I always felt that airiness to it. But the pain, it has like this. Okay, to me, like, like to me, and this is like really true. The pain, but then the rain is gone. Yeah. Those two songs, like I mean, have such an air about themselves. Yes, like yeah. it's to- it's Frankenstein. You know like the Frankenstein I mean? sound. Yeah, hundred like percent. And that's like you had like. A, I always felt that that was more like when people talk about the Toronto sound. Mm-hmm. I always felt like that was more 
the Toronto sound, you know, between like you and the grassroots and scam, scam. you know what I mean? Like, like the way you guys were sampling and stuff like that, you know? The one thing that those songs allow me to do is really just put my essence on tape in the sense like what I was feeling and maybe something that uh, I think good artists try and do anyway is like no barrier between you and what's coming out sonically. Like it, it can't be a fraud. It, for us, that's, that's all I knew to make music that way because of who we were studying, whether it be Rakim, Karras, One, or any of those dudes, you know, Gangstar. You could tell that what they're talking about, whether they're experiencing it directly or through somebody else that's in that environment. It's not concocted. It's not fictional. Right. You know what I mean, so everything that I ever did, I had to be able to stand up and say, yeah, I believe in the sound that I'm giving you. Okay, at this point, you have a, your own studio in your crib and shit like that? That's right. So AZ, believe it or not, helped me buy half the studio. Okay. So that, that's how deep we went into it. So, you know, the Wait, can we, board, can, we, can we just go back with the AZ stories? Of course. Can, we, can you tell the story about Uptown Records? So this is pretty magical. I don't even know if, if I ever mentioned this to Thrust. So remember I told you we were out there shopping our demos. Right. So one of the places that um, called us up, and remember, I'm not allowed to say anything. So we're up walking through Uptown Records, and the entire building is security is 5% Nation of Islam dudes. Bow ties, the works. Like, I felt like I was walking into a Malcolm X movie. No joke. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. So real, you know, real, real talk now. So they bring us up to the boardroom. Um, and we're sitting down waiting for Andre Harrell, who at that time I think had signed Mary J. Blige, um, Boyz II Men, mm -hmm. like they were doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, in walks Heavy Andre Harrell, yeah. That's right, it was on the wall actually. So we're in this boardroom, and I'm like, you know, I'm a kid from Toronto trying to play it cool, you know what I mean? Because it's like, like we're in a boardroom here with some fucking heavy hitters, dude. So in walks Andre Harold. At the time, Puff Daddy was his intern. Now, he didn't introduce us, but he was in the room with us. You know what I mean, so he's sitting down there. So Andre Harold plays um, Delphi Oracle, a couple of tracks, and a few other ones that we, we had in the works. And he's like, you know what, you guys got something here. I like the sound. So he's like, who, who's the rapper? And I just put up my hand. I don't say anything. He's like, you know what I mean, put up my hand. He's like, he looks at me, looks back at his boys, looks at me, he's like, really, that's you? He's like, listen, I'm going to break it down for you, kid. <laughs> as much as I like what you're doing oh I don't know if you paid attention to when you were walking into the building but I have a job here to prioritize making black music for black people that was his thing to me he was like I gotta find people in the streets that sound good and put money in their pocket don't take any offense to it that's exactly how I'm doing yeah. and calm voice the whole bit and I gotta be honest with you I was never offended by the statement right right and it might have just been the way I was looking at it like I felt like yeah I am a guest to this thing called hip hop and I'd love to be accepted but if, I, if it's not my time yet then it's not my time yet it's kind of like a karate kid wax on wax off kind of experience in my mind at the time right so when we walked out of there we just looked at each other and said listen you know, it, it just encouraged us even more to do our own label thing because we're looking like listen People might not. He still didn't say it was crap. He still That's told right. you. He was like, yeah. he sat down with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yo, he said, this is you. So you're kind of like, wow. It was so encouraging. You know what I mean? He's like, yo, I got something though. Yeah. That's ex right. that, that story sticks with me to this day because it, you know what I mean? What That's he was exactly doing was honorable for I his. I knew that. Yeah. That's crazy. Man. I mean, he, what he was doing was honorable for his people. Now, you know what? I got to say, it taught me a lot, again, you know what I mean? To, to go back right. and say, listen, if we're going to break through, we got to be undeniable, meaning like you can't just be okay, can't be just good. It's got to be better than good mm -hmm. because they got good already. 
So at this point, do you, at this point, do you have a studio already? Because you're making. That's right. Okay, so you guys. Okay. So I'm making stuff in the basement of my mom and dad's place. How, how did your parents take to that? So, mm-hmm. what was interesting is, I got to give them a lot of mm-hmm. love and props because they never once denied me, or asked me not to do it. Mm-hmm. They never. Once, they never once questioned. You know what I mean? Now I don't know if it's just because I had that honorable relationship with them. I mean, like growing up, I was always a good kid, not involved in anything. And I take, you know, basketball and hip hop actually helped me stay in line, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Right. So like when other kids are doing stupid things, I was on the basketball court playing, trying to master my craft. And then as that, you know what I mean, started running, I was in the studio mastering my craft. So my parents knew that I was home all the time. They knew what he was doing, who he was. Like, right. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? So there was a certain comfort that like other kids... Again, you're talking about an era where there aren't any computers and stuff like that. To, you know, you're either playing video games at your friend's house with Atari, mm-hmm. you, or you're out in the street doing something. But I was <coughs> in my studio learning my craft, and to this day, that's what I do. I practice my craft. Right. Like that's I, I needed to know how I could get this sound. I mean, it drove me crazy. I can't tell you how many sleepless nights when I couldn't get my snares to sound like Marley Mall. I can't tell you. It was like, how the fuck does this guy do it? How does he do this? And then I played the record and I put it in the watch, sample. Do you like, watch the new thing that he does? With yeah. John? Man. That like, drove you crazy. That's what drove me crazy. Did. And he shows you how you did it now. That's right. Like, Marley's got these recipes, yeah, secret yeah. recipe. The, the MDC, the Akai shit. Yeah. So we, not only did we have that, like, <laughs> there was nobody I could ask. That's how he did it. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah, I was just awesome. in the lab. Yeah. Okay, I mean, seven. like, yeah, let's just really, like, like, let's talk about that, right? Like, you're making beats with Day, I mean, at this point, Day's obviously making beats too, right? Day's so making beats. So I guess beats. we have to, let's talk about the equipment. Like, what, what are you using at these times? So Day introduces me to Ensonic, which is my first sampler. Which was, which one, a Mirage or um, EPS? I got the EPS 16 plus. Okay, yeah. Right? So I start, I start messing with it. I mean, it's got an onboard sequencer, but I'm still not getting like the boom bap part of it all figured out. Okay. And like I was making stuff, but... So here's where the transition happens. Delphi Oracle was done with the EPS 16 plus. Right. Right about that time, Thrust and Scam are coming into the studio. Mm-hmm. And Scam brings this thing called an SB 1200. Right. And all of a sudden I'm like, what the fuck is this? This magic box, man. That box was like, he puts it in the drum side, boom, bap, bap, boom. And it was like, the groove was just like instant. Everything coming out of Scam's machine was like, holy shit. And at that point, I'm like, I gotta get myself an SP1200. I gotta do whatever I can. Now you should, you should have seen the look of his face, man. I remember that first time scam. You know, scam hits the button. Yeah. Scam does a little bop. And, yeah, man. It was nuts. Again, just like being on the court, being introduced the first time to something, and being like, that's it. It's almost like the real recognizes real. When you're introduced to anything, and it just stands out on its own, that's what the SP1200 did. Right. So it took me. I don't know. I don't know how long it was. Maybe three to six months. But I spent every day trying to find this thing called an SP twelve hundred. I went to Long and McQuaid. I went to see. None of those guys were carrying any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was so hard to find. Them, so hard to find. So I go down to New York, New Manhattan. New York, yeah. Right. And um, I can't remember. They got like a music store called Rogues Music. Okay. Yeah, there, right? Rogues, Rogues. So I go in there. These dudes have it. They got an SP twelve hundred. They're just reintroducing them. They're relaunching them. So all of a sudden. I don't have enough on my visa to cover the whole purchase. So they got this in-house financing that they're talking about. (laughs) Make a long story short, because I was not an American citizen, they wouldn't approve me. So I, you know, I go back home pissed that I can't get this SP 1200. And then I think it was like maybe a week or two later that AZ 
I tell him the story about the SP 1200 and he's like, fuck this, you gotta get it, you gotta get it, I'll give you half. So me and AZ go down and we end up buying this thing, halves. Okay. And the pain is done on the SP 1200. Mm-hmm. So okay. New York. You, go down New York, yeah. right? you gotta tell him the story, man. You got in the car and we drove through, we been driving down to New York since we were like 16, 17. Like, it was like our second Yo, home almost. Just drive, just get in the car and just go. Just go. Take turns, drive. You're grade nine. You see right. grade nine is walking around, we just get in the car and just go. This is all for the pursuit. In the, in the 80s. Of the perfect, the perfect, the perfect beat, the perfect, whatever we want to call it. It was all in the pursuit of having people acknowledge the music. And it wasn't even about money. Because back then, you knew for sure you weren't getting paid with it. Right. You know right, I mean? right, it wasn't right, like right. it wasn't like you guys were were yeah, on stage like rock stars. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was, you know what I mean? It wasn't that mentality about it being like this mega thing. Yeah. Um, from a dollar's perspective, wasn't even in the criteria. Was never even in the conversation. And you can tell that by the artists that we were listening to coming up. Even they were struggling. You know what I mean? Rock came talking about trying to hit the studio to get paid in full, but dig deeper in my pocket and coming up with Lent. You know what I mean? Like the dude's telling you that he's broke. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, special ed, you know, coming out saying, you know, I got it made. We knew that he was just, you know, Play, word playing wordplay. You know what I mean? He didn't have any of that stuff. You know what I mean? So we knew going down that the intent was never about that. But it was about trying to create some kind of energy that people look at you. And, and it was more respecting. It's kind of strange. You know what I mean? Because so you know, little. It was yeah. just the coolest thing, dude. Like hip hop ain't cool like that. It's cool because it's just everywhere. It can't be. But something's everywhere. It is cool, right? Yeah, but it was also kind of new then, man. When so you knew, like, yeah. I can't say I can't put. It was just so yeah. enticing. I agree. So yeah. cool, yeah. like you haven't seen cool. You know what's cool? Like it's like how people still reflect back on the seventies. You can look at that seventies area, even though we weren't part of it. And you look at it the bit, you're like, yo, that was cool. Then there's a James Brown era. You could see the, the eras. It's like, cool, there's a certain eras. Yeah. And you look at it like that. If I can go to the time machine and go back. I mean, what was the last? I mean, hip hop was like the same like thing. The last that, music, hip hop house music. Yeah, yeah it's right? cool, man. You had to be that's, part of it, man. If you was young and hip, you had to be part of it. You just. What was crazy about it at the time, like even the equipment coming out, was never intended to make hip hop with it, right? So the SP1200 was a sampling drum machine. Mm-hmm. It was used by bands who didn't have their drummer present to snapshot a kick, a snare, and a hi-hat, program it in so they can play along with their guitars and what, yeah. it was never intended for hip hop. Or a lot of TV mean? shows would use it. Exactly. And yeah. TV sounds and triggers. I remember going to see triggers. Letters right. and, and fucking Paul Schaefer was yeah, using it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, doing. right? right. Um, and that goes to even turntables, right? Like the turntable was never designed to scratch with it, right? right. So that's what I found really incredible about a lot of these hip hop kids that came before us was they were being inventive with the limitations they had. Mm-hmm. And with those limitations, they created a whole new genre of music in a way that we never had heard before. And was so good that it, you know, it hit the masses eventually with very little promotion at first. You know? Well, it wasn't until Public Enemy that you had like one minute samples. That was the first record. That's right. Without the first yeah. record, that and Cubes, America's Most Wanted, that was the first two records we actually had, I remember it was huge. We got a minute of sampling time. That's right. Before it was like 10 seconds, 12 10 seconds, seconds, 5 yeah. seconds. They had to be creative. Some of them Casio keyboard, yeah, like right. 2 seconds, going in, man. Pause tape, yeah. whatever. So it's like you still made people get up and dance and sing. Yeah, hip hop was an accident, man. Came from. That was an experiment, man. Good experiment. From people not having the resources. Right, you know, right. From Told just us. basically not having instruments. I mean, actually, on the East Coast, yeah. it came to just 
and it's was an accident. Okay, so then there's you. Then there's you two, right? Yeah. I mean, so thrust, past, future, present. Thrust and I, I mean, like thrust was kind of like a mentor for me when it came to hip hop. You know what I mean? In the sense that he was one of the first cats even at running me, even rapping. So when we were being in the cafeteria and, and thrust would play us stuff, I mean, and at the time I remember thinking to myself. Your flow back then was like a chill Rob G almost type of flow. Mm-hmm. But Thrust was always ahead of his time. I mean, so to me, he was like the mentor for my, you know, let's say MCing part. Okay. You know what I mean? I would always be looking at, you know what I mean, Thrust delivery. It was kind of crazy. Like those early days, I remember saying to myself, one day we're going to be on stage together. Even though we weren't. Remember I told you that story? And we end up being on so many stages together. But Thrust and I going to the same school, again, just being around one another. And, and me having, I think, a respect level for, for him and everything he's done. And what I mean by that is this. Some people do hip-hop. Thrust is hip-hop. I mean, I met a lot of cats that do it. But not so many cats that are it. Right. Right? Like, if I had to put it, you know what I mean? You know, like, Karis One, someone might say, he is hip-hop. You know what I mean? Right. I've met a lot of rappers that do hip-hop very well, and they love it. Or they're into it. But thrust, thrust connection with it, I saw it from the beginning. And, and I always gravitate to those kind of sources, you know what I mean? So that, that was something for me that um, allowed me, I think, at arm's length to learn about the culture. Mm-hmm. In a sense, you know what I mean? To have a dude that was it around me enough to be like, okay, once you're ready to graduate, you'll know. Right. And it was a big honor when, you know, for us to be like, hey, yeah, I want to record past, present, you know what I mean, in your studio. To me, that was like, you know what I mean? That was a big deal. I don't think I ever mentioned that to to, to thrust, but nah, was, so much was going on. You were yeah. school, you were studying. Yeah, it was it just, was, you know, we were taking courses at that time. We it was infinite. It was me, me, we'll, we'll get to some stories, we get to the Rex files and all the ghetto cops. Right. But it was me, uh, Infinite, and Frankenstein. Right. In, in, in the school that little period of time. It was kind of cool, man. This little window, right? So it was crazy, man. And in between classes, we decided, hey, man, and we were getting inspired by Frank. Like, cause Frank was doing his own label and stuff, and I already knew up here. I was like, oh man, I already had groups. That was after my KGB, after my, I had a group stuff. Right. Frank, when, when I met That's Frank, right. Frank made me go realize, yo, I just gotta go solo. That's when right. Thrust was born. But people know Thrust from before. That's right. I was, always, well I was in big groups. We did the Thrust part of the That's right. But I was known from the, I was doing stuff from the 80s, but, so my name was always out there. Thrust, 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 Thrust. was hitting monster But I never went solo until like, that period with me and Frank, so that was like he gave me that, and then he had a studio, and then we had the connection from high school. That's right. So well, what, did you, was thing. it everything with scam done? Was it everything scam first, or the, like were you also? That doing was the same time. Same time. So we were riding out together because scam. Remember <clears throat> me and scam, and X, I was co-host of the Power Move with X, and right. scam was on X. But right, we right. met X at an EPMD show. Scam was trying to sneak in the show, and I, I, me and X was going in with our record. I saw Scam trying to throw. I go, "Yo, kid, this cool kid." I remember, "Yo, come here, man. This is a column over here. Don't to sneak in. Just come with us. Just hold the Creative Records." And from that Creative Records, we went in this door, and it's this cool little, this white little kid. Who was this guy, man? This scam. energy. Was that scam? scam? And then we just linked, and then Frank was riding with me, and then we all linked. So that was the link. And you heard from him getting the SB12. So me and Frank was riding, and then I put all oh, this kid, this cool kid named Scam. I go, I know who you're gonna like. That's right. Scam and Frank. I knew Frank already. Right. So I'm like, oh, I gotta hook you up. But that's what hip hop was. Like, that's very right. few people had it. The Scam, when you met him, he had it. Yeah, when I met him, he had the 12s already in his house. He was an Esplanade the 12s. He had the bull. You know what I so, mean? He so was rolling with Deuce and Conky Moth from way back then, right. but they just weren't recording yet. 
So scam would come up. It was easy for him because then at that point, I, I ended up having an SP1200. He wouldn't have to carry that with him. I'd go down to his crib all the time. We'd exchange um, breakbeat records. We were just... Yeah, because like, I'd put him on, riding. and they just, I just stepped back. Because yeah. I was a rapper, but Frank was different. Frank was like a Pete Rock, because that's he's like a rapper, producer, remember? Right. So he was... He was like Spock in the studio. Frank was doing shit to make sound and wiring. He had it all from, remember he went to school for this. Like he had school, he had his own knowledge of the shit, right? And he knew the sound. Frank always knew the sound. One thing with him, he was always after the sound. He knew sonically what he was after. Right. And he could even tell you in the track when he recorded, remember that about you. That's you right. knew if it like, didn't. Did you have your own he knew, board at home or something like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Soundcraft, Soundcraft, Soundcraft board. board. Okay, yeah. board Which I still do. I still I have still it. Right. Okay, word, 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 word. Right. So, yeah, so we, I just kind of stepped back, and that's when you hear the story that him and Scammers went off on their thing. They started building on the technical SP12, blah, 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 blah. What, like it, it was, what I think was super healthy of it was like Scam challenged me in the sense that I heard what he was doing with such little stuff. And then, and then vice versa. Then Scam, you know, come in the studio and we'd help each other. It was almost like, you know, two heavyweights exchanging their secrets with each other. So we'd be like, "How did you do that?" And I'd be like, "How did you do that?" How did? And all of a sudden, we started to just become a strong force. Like the sound that was coming out of that um, small little studio. You know, that's where you know Scam brings Danny O, and we do Dear Hip Hop there. And, I mean, a, a whole bunch of other Concrete records. Mob. Concrete Mob, Boiling uh, Point, uh, all the rest. Too, yeah, so a lot of um, Red Life stuff is coming yes. in. Yes. Um, you know, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about this conversation. So that, that's, that is in a nutshell. We're Shop saying, like, we you know, Thrust was kind of like a mastermind to be able to be, like, moving the palm pieces in the sense, like, he knew what would fit with what. And, and we were at live at the barbecue. Those guys were hosting these crazy parties. I don't know if it was like yeah. once every two, three weeks. Yeah, so we was looking at that. So it was like, it was crazy, man. So live at the barbecue, remember, we're going back to an era where a lot of the popular clubs in the city were not playing hip hop. Right. So this is all off the radar kind of stuff. So they're promoting the, you know, the radio show Power Move 1 to 4. And live in the barbecues is where you get to go up on stage and freestyle while, yeah. you know I mean, while guys are trying to battle. And, and that's what I'm saying is like, you know, Thrust mentored me through that scene, how he was doing it. I mean, his command of the stage, you know, the way he held the mic, the way he rocked the party. There were certain things that I knew I just wasn't ready for yet. And as I got better and better, you know what I mean, it gave me confidence. And I think that's like that with a lot of people. You ball with a certain type of player, you, your game is either going to go like up or that. notice that you ain't coming up. You know yeah, I mean? so, yeah. Um, and that was... It was all love. I think that's, again, just the magic of it that might be missing. You know, when we talk about some of these classic records, in order for you to capture magic, it's got to be magic. Yeah. I mean, it ain't something special. It doesn't matter how you capture it. The camera will only take a snapshot of what's there. Right. The microphone will only capture what's there. Yeah. You know I mean, you can't fraudulently create magic. You know I mean, so I think that's what we were most in tuned with. And I think, still think that we do is that when I step, whether it's behind the boards or in the booth, if I don't hear the magic, like for real, for real. Right. Then I just don't feel it. I can't fake feeling it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's, I think those are the records that people continue to love and the ones that, you know what I mean, inspired all of us. It's like, you know, when you hear, I don't know, Wu Tang's Cash Rules, everything around, that's magical, dude. Like it's not, yeah, it's undeniable. Yeah, I get what you say, 100%. It's like, how do you deny it? You can't. It just is what it is. And that's why it stands what it stands. And, and that's what we, when I say we, you know, the, the crews that we were rolling with, Every time we were there, that's what we were trying to capture sonically. We were like a goal to make timeless music because that's really what it was. We used to always talk. It's just gonna make time. I mean, let's talk about another record from that era, man. That's the Howie Attic, man. Oh yeah. I mean, There's you another, produced that. I, so 
He was on DJ the X, DJ yeah. X comes to me with this artist named Nasty Howard, right? And he's like, dude's dope. We, I'm going to do a song with him. And the song they do is is Attic, too much of anything. It makes you, so X records it, and I was like, yo, the dude can spit. Now, how we think at the time was from Jungle. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I mean, different worlds obviously getting together. And what would often happen for me is once those guys finished their track, I'd have my reel to reel and I'd have the acapella sitting there. So without them even knowing it, I would go back once they were done and I would do a remix. I would just be like, next time they come in the studio, I'm going to play it for them and see what they think. So I had the luxury of having a studio in my house so I could make, you know, nurture it. Like when, so right, right, when right. X comes into the studio, he's got two or three hours to try and figure everything out and then he's got to go. I can sit with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I could be like, what does this make me feel like? So I sit with it. I play a ton of old breakbeat records. I try and capture whatever mood, how he's delivering. I'm trying to capture by listening to other stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I come back and do my thing and then I played it for them and they liked it so much I think they made it the A side instead of the B side. Right. So we never called... Even though it was a remix, I don't think they ever called it the remix, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think we did that with Do You Understand Me? Yeah, we did too. So yeah, often, anytime, like I said, I had acapellas, it was one way of me just mastering my craft, trying to get, you know, capture the essence of the artist, but without trying to take away what he had created. You know, so like my right. mix and let's say X's mm-hmm. mix are actually very different from one another. You know, even though he didn't rap to mine, I gave him a whole new energy around yeah, it. Yeah. Right? That was something that was important to me. I mean, at least, again, to kind of sharpen my blade as we were speaking about earlier. It's like, I, I, whenever I didn't have rappers in there, I tried to keep mastering my craft, keep polishing it. And the New York mixes DJ Eclipse's version. That's right. That's right. The New York mixes DJ Eclipse. Mm-hmm. So, how did that us. happen? So, what's really is another amazing story. One of the trips that we took down to Manhattan, um, Eclipse was working for a label. I think it was Nervous Records. Okay. So, you know, we go there, we're shopping our stuff, and for whatever reason, Eclipse takes a liking to us. And he's like, you know what, guys, this city's gonna eat you up if you don't have somebody, like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of taking you under the wing. He's like, why don't you stay with me for a few nights? So Eclipse allows us to stay with him a few nights. He takes us, um, you know, everywhere around New York, you know, Fat Beats. Um, there was, uh, I think like that night, there was a Nervous, um, record release party for, for some of their artists and everybody was in the house like EPMD yeah. Carousel, like I mean everybody that I got their record at home like around me so it was I think probably the first and last time that actually had um, I was starstruck it was just that one that one night kind of prepared me for the rest because I was like after that night it's like I didn't feel like any room would rock me that room rocked me that night mm-hmm. meeting guys that you know special ed jumps on stage and he's spinning I'm like guys that all in one room one night Everybody that's in your record crate at home are on stage, and you didn't expect yeah. it. You know what I mean? That's how we felt, right? So when we got back and we started doing these records, I never forgot about Eclipse. So we we tied him in, and then we started paying him to promote these records in New York. Okay. Right. So we kind of showed the love back, and Eclipse was, has always been that way mm-hmm. with us. You know yeah. I mean? He was like he was looking out for us, and we never forgot it. So we put him on the record, and um, and we allowed him to work the record. So that. That was uh, that was a magical time. That's the time we were also recording thrust stuff at the same time. Past, future, present. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then my stuff got distributed because of that link, and then we was going back and forth to the city. It was just crazy. That was like the right. first. We used to record five songs. It was so That's nice. right. We we had a real focus intentionality. When it was, it was crazy, man. I think what was really great was when we were in the studio. It's like we knew what each other was thinking, and we didn't have any of those. Um, you know, you might have people in the studio balancing. Oh, I want it like this. I want it like that. I don't ever remember having those discussions. We all kind of 
you know what I mean? Like scam would touch the boards a bit, and Russ might come over and move a fader or two, and we would just listen to it and, and go back to it. But it was like the studio was set up to already be that Dude, way. We would make songs. You can ask Solitaire. You can ask a bunch of other people, man. You know when you work with certain artists or artists, or me and this guy's chemistry is off the chain. Like if we start a song, no concept, nothing. We'll sit down. And within 40 minutes to an hour, every time, something out of nothing is done, it's recorded, the beat's done, or bring it up, it's, it's done. Everything in one tape. Like anything you hear, like on the records, I even brought some of the records, I brought some records, I brought oh, some, nice. some new vibe. But even on the records, it's like, it's crazy the amount of time, like. Okay, you so. You know what I mean? Like it's like some, I don't know, you hear a red and meth, it's like a connection. That's I right. Think it's like that natural yeah, affinity. Yeah, yeah. We got albums that never came out. We got all kind of crazy stuff, man. People know. It's good. Yeah, it's true. Oh, you don't want to hear all of that shit, files, man. man. We got files, man. They coming. So then what? These all are time. the times you move? and Like, what? Do you do UV and then you move to Woodbridge? Or you? So UV was done while I was already living in Woodbridge. Okay. Um, so I moved to Woodbridge in 1987, 88, something like that. And I continued going to school at Runnymede Collegiate. Okay. So, um, like, and not a lot of people know this, but Woodbridge is hella far from where running me was. Yes. Right? So I didn't have my driver's license yet. And, you know, my family was like, you know, Frank, there's a school like, like literally 200 meters from our streets. You, know, you know, so I went to, it was actually a real sad day for me because the day I went to go check out that school, it was almost like going to a complete different world, right? So you go to a school that is like hip hop based, ball, all that. And this school was everything but hip hop. Italian kids, house music. Yeah, you, know, you walk through the, you know, you're walking through the parking lot. There's like, you know, dudes got cars, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're playing Stevie B. They're doing, this. Yeah, yeah, some yeah, of those joints yeah. are still banging. I ain't gonna yeah. say, you know what I mean, that they're not. It just, the school wasn't my vibe. So I'd be waking up at like 6.30 in the morning to walk from my house to the first bus stop, which is like, you know, four or five kilometers to Steels, jumping on. My dad yes. sometimes was around, he'd, he'd, you know what I mean? And I would, and what's really crazy is I took the Jane bus. So for any Toronto cats that are worth anything, they know that the Jane bus, starting from Steels at the time, oh, go, went through every hood. So, and what's crazy for me is like every time I got on the bus, I knew that I would see half a dozen teammates at one point because they were all getting on at either, you know, Jane To go Finch, to practice too. You know, to go, you know, so yeah. I'd be bumping into those dudes. So it was like the drive and the bus it, it didn't affect me the way it might have because I felt like it was a belonging anyway. You know what I mean? So it was like, it wasn't one person I'd be bumping into somebody else and we would be riding the same bus anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's the way I kind of got my mind around. Even though I'm out here, I said to myself, I don't, it doesn't have to be who I am. I'm right. in Woodbridge and it's just not who I am. So I continued just to follow my instincts on who I felt I was. Mm -hmm. And I identified with the culture that I was experiencing at Runnymede. Yeah. Like it helped define me. I mean, um, it helped, let's say, in my confidence <laughs> in, in so many ways. Like hip hop was more than just you know a musical experience. It was my transitioning from being a boy into a man was around hip hop. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I mean, of course, it 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 helped set up the rules. You know what I mean? Who, how you act with people? You know what I mean? What are you saying? You know what I mean? You're going to be judged on the things you say, and we're putting records out, so even more so because those things were captured, right? So that's what I kind of identified with. You know, the distance didn't bother me because it was okay. part of my development. Now looking back, I mean, at the time, I would have loved to have been close to running me because I was within walking distance before we moved. I mean, even when I say like, okay, kids, okay, so, because I want to go to UV, but even before that, you did so much. 
like production even before all UV mm-hmm. happened. You know, like that's right. I put you did like Chocolate, Red right. Life stuff, fucking what else, man? Um, I did the remixes for um, they were not authorized remixes. Yo, like, that's right, that's right, that's right. We talked about that earlier. Well, like, right. With the uh, Mob Deep Shook Ones remix. I did and Shook like, Ones remix. I did If I Rule the World remix. Uh, and that was a fucking, yo, that was like a little cult fucking yo, tape, was, man. Yeah, like, dude. yo, people went wild over that. Yep, that's what made Frank like on a legendary kind of status. I got, uh, I got a lot of love on that. You know, yeah. not even what Trust was saying in the sense that I had all these dope beats sitting around right. that I felt were dope. And I was like, do people need to hear this? So it's basically an introduction of my production reel. Mm-hmm. Now, again, to honor stuff, we didn't put that stuff out on Knowledge of Self. Yeah. Right. right, you put it as a white label, right? Put it as a white label. Basically, you know, I wanted, if anything got back to me, I wanted people to know that I wasn't selling the tax. Exactly. You know what I mean? It was more just, hey, listen, this is what I do. So um, I think I was telling you this story earlier. I will never forget the day that I get a call from Pete Rock's people because I had done an I and I remix on there. That's right. And I'm like, here I go, I'm in trouble now. You know what I mean? So... I think it was his manager or something like that, but he's like, yo, Pete is feeling the I and I remix and he wants to know if you can send some extra references because we like to use them in some of our promotion. And I was like, bang, bingo. I was like, dope. And again, I think we, at that time we pressed out, I think about 2,000 of those. Word. And just gave them out literally for free. You know what I mean? We just like, now I think some of them ended up finding their way into stores because guys that got them for free sold them and because they were hard to get and there was actually yeah. some bootleg versions. Mm-hmm. So oh, dudes yeah, were bootlegs. There was a lot of bootlegs, remember? That was crazy. Right, remember, so... Was that Eugene told us, somebody told us? That's right. They were like, Frank, Frank you know, people were selling yourself out there. I'm like, they bootlegged you record there, man? <laughs> I think some of your stuff was getting bootlegs. Oh, my stuff was, dude. You yeah. know what I mean. Right, so it was kind of like a new calling card for me, and it allowed me to show people, like, again, the difference of my sound when I'm doing it for different, you know what I mean, for different rappers. Right. right. I kind of bust a remix, too. It was, it was good, and it was kind of crazy, even though it was unauthorized, Officially, like nobody said, "Hey, Frank, go do this." It was kind of like I got—I still got props for it. Mm-hmm. And, and right, never, it was well received. It was well received. I didn't get any. You know, I had nobody jumping down my throat. The artist was very happy that he did what he did. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Very good out there in the marketplace. Thank you very much, Mr. Frank Stein. You know, <laughs> no, that rarely happens too. Like, it was like what are the Toronto stuff? Because what are the Toronto stuff were you doing in terms of production now? Like. Ivana Santilli, stuff like that, right? That's right. So, Chocolate. I mean, obviously, I work with Maestro Fresh West. We we did a track um, for him. In fact, a lot of people don't know this. When West was making his comeback, right? um, He came to my studio one night with Farley Flex. And I call my studio, but it's the basement of my house, right? So, I got Maestro Fresh West, the legend, sitting on my basement couch with Farley Flex. And this is the conversation that we have together. So, Farley Flex looks at him and says, wants to make a comeback. And, you know, he's been living in Brooklyn and stuff like that. And he hears, you know what I mean? He's heard some of your stuff and it's well received down there. So he's got an idea for a record. He wants you to put it together. He plays me these eyes. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, okay. He plays me these eyes. So, and then he does the hook. Been a lot of shame in my game. I'm like, it's a pretty nice record. So I put together a Frankenstein version of that. Okay. Which yeah. I still have. Because two roots produced that. That's right. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is he ends up shopping it. And I can't remember who picked up the record. I can't remember what label picked up the record. But I think it was Virgin or somebody. Anyway, whoever picked up the record said, listen, we like the record, but it's not commercial enough. So, you know, Wes calls me. He's like, Frank, listen, 
they're signing the record, but they can't use your version. So, Too Rude ends up doing the These Eyes, okay. and then um, and then Maestro feels you know feels kind of bad, and I think it was not because we didn't speak for a little while. Because when I first heard it, I was like, man, I, I still like my Boom Bat version more, but that's the world I was in. I was. Do you still have your version of yeah, it? Yeah, I still uh, have it. I, right. So what ends up happening is Wes. I gotta say, he did the honorable thing. He comes back to me. And he's like, listen, Frank, even though we can't do that song, I still want you on the album. Okay. And we end up doing. We end up doing a song. I mean, so like Wes was always a stand-up, stand-up. When I rock, yeah. That's right. Right. Yeah. So we end up doing that track together, and it was his way of paying homage to the fact that we did that record. But you know what? I didn't. I didn't really feel that the record belonged to me anyway, to be honest with you, because it was Wes's idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, all I did was add my flavor to it when we were doing it. But the breakbeat, the hook, the the way he wanted to go, that was him. You know what I mean, and I think Tubu probably did just the same thing. Kind of pieced together. Wes's ideas and got obviously production credit for it, but really in my mind and heart and soul, I still feel that Wes. I don't know if he got production credit for it, but he produced that record. Mm -hmm. I was just engineering, right? You know what I mean? I, like I said I added some Frankenstein flavor to it because mine was a little bit more grimy. And when Farley came to me, that's what I thought they wanted. You know what I mean? Because I probably could have done a more splashy commercial version, but it wasn't the Frankenstein sound. So Wes was like, "Yo, I want some of that street stuff," and that's the way we did it. Okay, right? okay, and. This kind of leads into other stories that probably not too many people know. Thrust and I think at the time, remember we were working on a Mad Fiber album? Yep. So what people know as Rap Essentials, the first one. Yes. Almost every track on that album was supposed to be for Mad Fiber, an album that they, myself, and Thrust were trying to put together, which was all the artists in the city that we were mixing for, whether it was YOK's track, you know, I can't remember everyone that was on it, but 90%. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, there was a, there was a Mad Fiber 12 inch. It was though. a cassette that was going on. I still have it. It was a cassette, but Mad Fiber was supposed yeah, to be the Toronto album. Few people had it. It was a Toronto album. Right. It came out, but we had it all formulated, recorded. And what ended up happening, Rap Essentials ended up doing that record just because at the time, we couldn't offer the cats upfront money. And I think the kind of word got out that, you know what I mean, Ivan and Beat Factory were putting up together an album and were willing to pay cats. So a lot of the tracks that we had designated for Mad Fiber because we had mixed them, more than half of them, right. end up on that album. Yeah, after we they were signing checks here, track, track, you know what I mean? That's what happened to that. So, I mean, Frankie and Derek, I mixed that stuff for them. Um, wow. Monolith, you know what I mean? Dear Hip Hop. Um, I'm trying to remember what else was on that album. Um, just probably like I said, fifty percent of it was mixed by well, me. Right, like who's talking? Wait, but that's a remix that's on that album. But they mixed it in my studio, right? Um, and they did the other half. So there's like I think the Rascals were the only group on that album, and maybe Infinite mm -hmm. that Day and I didn't touch. Everybody else on that album, either myself or him, had mixed it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know if we ever even to this day got credit for it, but it's just just the way it was back then. That's how it was. Right, you guys were the guys recording. Right? Well, to be honest, you know, they and I were never looking for engineering credits because we saw ourselves as artists, producers, anyway, right? So it wasn't like, hey, I need, I need engineering credits on that. We just took it at, hey, listen, we're putting out a sound, the who's who know what we do. Right. That's all that mattered to us. You know what I mean? The respect of the who's who was good enough for me. Well, it's funny because we were talking about it, right? Like, we were talking about you recorded all the Red Life stuff. That's right, all the Red Life stuff. And we're talking about, like, Red Life action and Remy not That's right. action and Kryptonite. That's right. I mean? the, the first time Kwame brings this group to me, 
you got Red Life, you know what I mean? And, and Action had some energy. Remy was like ridiculous, you know what I mean? The dude, Word. you know what yeah. I mean? So we had, I, and I still got all their tracks, by the way. So Word. they're sitting in my vault that tapes that I gotta share with you. Cause I was saying to you earlier too, it's a shame that some people haven't heard even the evolution of Red Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What they sounded like and then who's talking weight and all the rest of the stuff. I mean, again, you know, and then comes Kryptonite in. comes in because Action decides he doesn't want to rap anymore. That's right. Exactly. And then boom, boom, right? And then that's Exodus. Exactly. The black employed and stuff. Yeah. And doing those records. And this is, you know, a conversation we were having at that time. Kwame and I honestly talked about releasing that Kwame's stuff under uh, knowledge itself. DJ he, Kano, Kano. Kano. DJ Kano. DJ Kano. Yeah. That's right. Got to give him some love. Like Kano. Yeah. Kano's again one of those mentorship guys around the hip hop scene. Meaning, like he was real good at putting a lot of people together. You yeah. Know, and, and moving the pawn, the pieces. You know, like the way thrusters. So he wasn't looking at you know repping a block. He was looking at repping Toronto. You know what I mean? And just seeing like what would work, what would fit. You know what I mean. And, and he's still instrumental, I think, in, the, in you know what I mean, in his world. But um, he was the first one to bring a lot of Rexdale cats through my place. So Kwame was almost like the A and R for Rexdale, as far as yes. I can tell. You know what I mean? Obviously, there are going to be other guys that might take a little bit of credit, but Kano was like Rexdale A and R. If you went to hip hop, he was like the gatekeeper for hip hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, of course. You know what I mean? Of if you were the outside trying to come yeah, in, of you, of course, you, you had to go through that right? little like, like no one from rock. Rexdale came to my studio without Kano's approval. I think even with the Rex, right. he right. kept Rex there. Like, when Kwame was here, when Kano was here, it just felt like Rex there, everybody was all together, man. I don't know what it was about his energy, but when he was around, he just kept everybody together. Oh, so he was such a positive guy. Yeah, he kept all the acts working, everybody together. And he's all, you know what? This, you know what I've mean? always said like, this. He kept yeah. everyone in check. If, in if you yeah. know him, He's always been good at whatever he does, whether mm-hmm. it was BMXing, right. mm-hmm. dancing, mm-hmm. the art, the the making beats, the DJing. Like he's, he's always been good at what he does, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Naturally gifted dude, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His chemistry was very similar to our collective energy. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, you know, a coincidence. I don't think that. So you have tracks that you produced for Red Life. That's right. Yeah. That yeah. no one's ever heard. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. See, yeah. It's like, crazy. Like nutty stuff. People mm-hmm. would. People that now, what's funny is the last time I talked to Remy, I'm like, yo, you you realize like who's talking weight is like a Toronto cult classic, mm-hmm. and he was all like, nah, fuck off, yo, mm-hmm. like he didn't believe mm-hmm. me, man. I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. Remy, seriously, bro, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that again, that's raw, raw emotion caught on tape. Yeah, you know I mean, it's like that. I think was the beauty of the environment that we helped create. You know I mean, and. And it was no mistaking when when dudes came out to the studio, like my walls had, you know, probably all the classic albums were up. You know, I mean, Gangstar, Rakim, EPMD, like Wu Tang was all plastered. So like the vibe when you came in there allowed you to be what you needed to be, with no, you know, it, it was kind of interesting. It's like the real MCs when they got there knew they could just be who they needed to be. Didn't need any coaching. That was my favorite to this day is my favorite studio. Right. Studio. No, no coaching. Just be like, listen, we're gonna record. Do your thing. You don't worry about it. Just do your thing. And I felt that we were able to capture whoever was coming through there in their essence, which is sometimes a little different than when you put somebody in a big studio. A lot of the Shock Clay records that came out of there, dude, it's almost like people didn't hear Shock. Shocks had a lot of stuff that was in there and I recorded. Mm-hmm. Like you recorded a lot of Ice Cold? Yeah, different versions. Yeah. yeah. And we recorded and, a lot of and, something and, uh, to make it on the Ice Cold album. A lot of, a lot a lot of, of work, circle right? Stuff, a lot of Circle stuff was recorded in there, and it was, it was like a testing ground because they couldn't get another studio because there were so many artists. Because you had a bigger thing. They didn't have a bounce at the Frank studio, right? That's right. Because, you know, Circle, how many people was in the Circle? Circle was like 
Nine artists, they can't also. Oh, we got to do something. So you're saying if they weren't recording with Gadget, they no, they'd be a Gadget too. But then they no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, right? would be in Frank's house, and then they go back, kind of be like this. So songs was getting done. Like I don't think people in that era, that three or four years, every weekend, honestly, we was like on some Motown shit. Like there was <laughs> so true. much songs were done. I knew because I, I did. I do like three or four songs in a weekend. I forget about tracks. Like, it was, and then I'd be leaving the studio, and then Red Life would be here, and then this cat be here, and I go to Kwame. This is going on here. This is being recorded here. Grass is recorded over here. Gather's recording this song over here. And then we're doing, like, when we did the the, the Grassroots album, that was a that was like a three year recording process, dude, in our yeah. studio. So we doing different parts of that album there, and then the Mad Fiber. Yeah, Mad Fiber. Was happening too, and then so it was like the that's black employee. Like people talk about that. Did you produce on the black employee? Like, no, so Situation Nine is a track so that I did on Shaw Claire's album. Like, yeah, 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 on Ice Cold, yeah, right? Ice Cold. We had that was that like, was the only record. Yeah. We was like, that was mixed so in the was basement in the of my house. Everything else on the record was mixed in a New York studio. Okay. So it was important, you know what I mean? Because we went down there and we did it in New York too. But the vibe wasn't right for me. So it's the only record I, on that album that was done the way we created it in, in the laboratory. You know I mean? And that was the first time I, I felt the politics around, you know, because Shocks was signed to a Virgin commercial label and they felt, you know what I mean, they had to mix it in a commercial environment. So if it wasn't Gadget, and I think there's somebody else in New York mixed a bunch of their stuff. Because I remember we went down for a week. Situation number nine, that's a track you Situa did. Yeah, situ I was just saying Situation oh. number nine was the only one mixed in my house. And it's, it's and it makes the sound it of that record is dope when you hear right. right. You go back, go back, listen to it. You hear that same thing. Right. And that's what I was yeah, hoping for. I mean, at the time, it was hard to convince Oh, let's even talk about, too, about even how you were mastering records. Because you were working with Tom Coyne and all these that's right. names from, like, way back. You were the yeah. first people, yeah. I, when we were... Again, when we were looking at mastering our stuff, we were always looking at the back of the records that we loved and who was mastering. You know what I mean? So we started to just make sure that our stuff was on par with, you know what I mean? And I remember, like, when I'd bring, because they'd always ask you to bring a sample of what you want your record to sound like. I'd been bringing it into these old white guys and, like, you know, I'm playing mass appeal for them, and they're like, what's this? I'm like, I need it to hit like this, EQ wise, bass wise, whatever wise. And they gave it a sparkle that a lot of people don't understand. Right, like the mastering post. Uh, you know, it was kind of interesting. There were a lot of people that were masters of their craft in a certain environment then. Now you get guys that feel that they can do mastering because they got a couple of plugins and all of a sudden it, it's mastered. Yes, it is. But yeah. it does, again, it, it doesn't have that, it just doesn't have that magic and that's why it doesn't have the longevity that some of the records that we're talking about. The output you get out that's Right. That's yeah. what I tell people all the time. Man. I get what you're saying, man. But like, I mean, in this day and age, but you record it two weeks and this literally. Save it as an MP3 and up for a load the MP3 to SoundCloud and boom, you're there. You know what I mean? Like that's right. These kids don't care about the sonics of mastering like we did. You know what I mean? Like, of course. And you know what? You see it, and it's a shame, right? Because it's like that with anything. If if you want to pick up a bottle of Johnny Walker, you know why is it a Johnny Walker? Because the process isn't fucked with. Right. You know what I mean? If you want to pick up, you know, a bottle of Louis the Thirteenth, that's like a two thousand dollar bottle. Why are guys willing to spend that? Because they know when they open it, it hasn't been fucked with for X amount. It, it, the formula is the formula. precise, right? So with music, you can look I at it. I love this too, man. Keep talking. Sorry. You know, go, go. So with music, because go. it's not scrutinized that way, exactly, it's like kids don't care. The fact of that not caring is like opening up, you know, a Louis XIII bottle that somebody fucked with. So yeah, you don't yeah, have, yeah. you know what I mean, the bottle. 
Mm-hmm. And it's because certain people weren't from that era where it was protected and it was sacred and it was like that. You wouldn't even realize that. Like, you wouldn't even realize you get it. it. You wouldn't even realize that. Like, you. that's the thing. And I understand. I understand. That's what I understand I'm not, it. I'm not 100% clear. Too, I understand. Because, right? you know, I was listening the other day to all these arguments. People saying, oh, no, you old hip-hop man. Well, you like your dad. You like your pops. And I said, wait a minute. I'm not like my dad and my pops. Because my dad and my pops came up jazz and blues. I came up on hip-hop. I always listen to hip-hop. So I'm just yeah, talking about the right. now hip hop, and I was always talking about the now hip hop back then, and, and I always look back at hip hop before. Da, da, da. So no, I'm not brainwashed like that. I'm telling you, it's weak right now. It's not creative right now. That's not me being blind. That's not me hating because I'm not like the ignorant pop. I love hip hop. I mean, your dad and your pops. No, they had a, a energy. It was a negative energy towards me. Like, why are you playing that crazy music? You don't see that connotation people say like when you yeah. have that. They want to make you feel like you can't have that. No, you don't have to have that. No, you understand what I'm saying? Like, no, I came up on hip hop. That's what I came up on. Like, so, right. I was, so I'm not like, coming from that. I'm coming from. I know what hip hop is. I know the formula. Oh, I never tried to contain it. I think we criticized it back then. It was whack tracks. It was all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course, I'm denying that. But you know what I'm saying? What I'm seeing now, yeah, you it's not hip hop to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's nothing wrong with saying that. I just think not, it's, it's not too fast, fast, too furious now. No, like, but, I always say but that, man. Because you, you, know, you got to remember, we had to wait. Like, yo, EPMG, EPMG drops an album today. Mm-hmm. We got to wait three years before we might hear the next EPMG album. Yeah. Two if we're lucky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, whereas now, EPMD can drop an album today, they can drop an album tomorrow, they can go drop two albums but next month. Drop an album you know, but that's what, what, that's what, you know what I'm saying? They they want to, it can happen like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, whereas in our generation, it didn't happen like that. You know, what do you listen, mean? if we talk about it from a generational perspective, thrust without a Are there artists, so, some artists in hip hop that you knew from that time that put up records like. Like twice a year. Other ones put them out every three years. Some put out every five years. Some was out four times a year. Right. We had everything in hip hop that you see right now. That's what I'm trying to say. But certain people aren't from that time. They didn't live that time. So you can't reflect on it. But there are a few people that do that are unbiased, that are open. That's what Frank made that point about yeah. the energy. So that looking at it and you open up that bottle that put, like, I know what that bottle is. Right. That 1400 bottle. Well, I know what that is. You can't deny knowing what that is. That's what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying? I'm There's nothing wrong. If that's not being bitter, I'm just saying this is this this right here. It's in the cat, but it's not this bottle right here. Right. You know what I'm saying? Give you me what I'm saying? Because I came up on this. I didn't come up on something different. I didn't come up on rock and roll, and I'm coming criticizing hip hop. I didn't come up. I came up on hip hop, and I'm talking to you about hip hop. Right, 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 right. I think another. That's why the parents before the generations before that before hip hop they weren't like that. Every other form of music before hip hop it wasn't like that. Rock and roll, before rock and roll was what? Jazz. Jazz before jazz was blues. So those kids talking about the next generation, like when those jazz musicians, stop playing that jazz music. Well, you're yeah, playing right. that jazz music, right? Yeah, why are you playing that rock and right? roll? Why are you playing that hip hop? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my mom before me, it was the same, why are you playing that hip hop? Sure, of course. Like me, I'm not gonna say, why are you playing that hip hop, but hip hop's hitting. I yeah. came up on hip hop, so I'm almost like, I love hip hop. Nice, nice. You know what I mean? That's what I say, the generation. Yeah, I want hip hop. Generationally speaking, you got. Cats that didn't contribute to a new genre of something that is what we're kind of saying as well, right? The 60s had a movement, 70s had a movement, the 90s had a movement. So each movement looks back at the other and says, hey, what did I pick up? What did I not create? Mm-hmm. A lot of these new cats haven't done that. And, and the reason why I look at it that way, and just like Thrust said, not a, from a bitter perspective. If you take this analogy, if you know that a roast beef needs to cook for 45 minutes 
and it tastes a certain way because you're following the recipes. But all of a sudden, I take that roast beef and I throw it in the microwave and get done. It can be cooked in 20 seconds, let's say. When you taste a roast beef out of the microwave, it does not taste like one that comes off of the oven for 45 minutes. It just doesn't. Right. It's cooked. Right. It's, and now if you haven't eaten in a week, it'll still taste good to you. <laughs> but it is not the same thing. And, and, what, like and, what if never, and what if you never even tasted when it was cooked for three hours? And you're talking to like the one you took out of the microwave is the dog. All you ever had. That's what I'm microwave. talking about. Oh, like it, all you got served was the microwave version, dude. That's what you I'm saying. You got the slow cook. Ribs that when you almost want to bite your finger when you bite into the ribs. You just not the other version. It's not a it's not a thing. It's like it's not. And a not a this. It's just it's just a reality of the environment and where things are at in the world. How it's I think spinning. The main thing right. is process matters in yes. everything. Right. The process of course, in which you eat. So if the process isn't scrutinized and the process isn't you know as authentic as it can be, or however they're making what they're making, then the result can't is limited by its process. Yes. It just is with everything. Yes. You know I mean, that's why that's a separate hip hop from everything else because it was highly scrutinized. It was highly thing. It was high, like he said. It, right. it was high. That would made it so like draw and so interesting. So like every track you had on the word, you know what I'm saying? Seven holes in my face as I look out the window, looking left to right as the wind blow. That's some rock here shit. Like, yeah. I still pull that back out of the fire, like boom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like it, it was so like wow. So that's what I'm saying. So when that's like pulling that out of that, you're still trying to call it what it is. Like, the refinement know. process yeah. matters, right? I guess that's what we're kind of saying. It's like the more you refine and something. And that's from coast to coast. Exactly. Even the West Coast wasn't banned yeah. like that. The South wasn't banned before. Like, you know what I mean? Look that's at that era, man. It's life in general. It's that now, energy man. of that. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, that's, no, that's and it has to evolve. Like I say, it's just a natural thing. So the right? fact that they don't, so let's say the new heads don't see it, right. these kids, man. and look at it as a negative connotation that, hey, listen, we're not, we're like the old guys, it's almost like saying, hey, well, you know, you're not willing to learn how to refine something. So you're, like, you're walking around with gold that's dirty, let's say, you know what I mean? It's like, you can refine it. Yeah, You clear. can refine what you're doing, but because we're in this fast food mentality, like quick, fast is better than thorough, then that's what you get. You got quick, fast music. It gets done quick. It gets mastered quick. It gets written quick. It blows it gets, up quick. It blows up and it, it goes away. It goes away quick too. Right. Every song go away because we saw just live a life. You still playing songs that time. That's the reason why the energy of the thing, the substance, the slow cooked meal, the ribs. That's why those records are with eternity. Reggae music's the same thing. Dancehall. All those records from that time were slow cooked meal. That's why the records ain't going away. The new records don't last long, and they're off. Like it's off. Not even just even R and B. I mean, even R&B, no, like, same thing, man. Yeah, yeah. R&B, so all the R&B, all the hits, all them things. Like, yo, man, that music's got a light. That was these generations. You know, on that and technology time. too. I mean, like, mm -hmm. think about it. Like, the sheer amount of of art. Any kid anywhere can go by. Oh yeah, Mac right now. Mm -hmm. and, and jump on the train and be done. So that makes like with any product, once it's oversaturated, it just it just. It's a problem for the real. People have to wade. Consumers have to wade through the crap just to get to the authentic. And that's three-fourths oh, yeah. of the time is just wading through the bullshit. That's right. Yes. Well, yo, it's so hard now when you get a hundred albums that come out every yep, day. That's right. Like, how how do you have the time to listen to everything? You know what I mean? It's got to be undeniable. It's got to be undeniable. So when you hear it, yeah. it engages you right away no different than the first time I heard what I was listening to. And the reason why the stuff I was listening to was undeniable, I believe, is the stuff that they were sampling was undeniable. 
Like the right. great piece that they're taking it from, go back and listen to Impeach the President on its own. Yeah. Or go back and listen to Grover Washington or Lou Donaldson. Yeah. The records are undeniable. Right. That's who they were sampling. Yeah. So the basis of the music starts with material that's undeniable. That. James Brown's crap, <coughs> I shouldn't call it that, but his shit, dude, yeah. is fucking undeniable. undeniable. Like listen to almost like all his records that he made during like the 60s to like 70s and beyond. They sound like hip hop records. Because they are. <laughs> that's that's what I mean. Because they are. James, right? James, James was a hip hop. James real. was the original hip hop producer. That's He's right there. Right. You know what I mean? Like the JBs and him. Like you listen to those records. Yeah. You know, I read something that, and this is what I'm talking about. Why process is important. James Brown's drummer spent hours and hours on tuning his snare. So it fit the track the way he wanted to, it to fit. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to James Brown's snares, yep. Eric B for president, that's a James yeah, Brown snare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Why is that snare hit the way it hits? You know what I mean? If process, you listen to process, anything that Marley did, all those snares are James Brown snares. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Why did it hit so hard? That dude perfected the craft of his snares. And when somebody else sampled them, the bridge is over. That's a James Brown snare. That's a James yeah, Brown snare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are James. I'm saying, it's in like, your head, man. <laughs> if you know the, if you know like the history, you'll start to realize that the reason why hip hop was undeniable is because it was learning from music that was undeniable. I'm not quite sure about how the new stuff gets put together because when I listen to it, it doesn't hit me that way. It's almost in the moment. Very situational, but it doesn't, you know, there's nothing in it that makes me say, I want to sample that snare or that kick or this and that. It's almost like, it's like a factory sound. Yeah, but that's, maybe that's something that we don't understand. It's analog you know versus I mean? digital, man. Of course. Say, yeah. No, that's business, that though, time. man. That's when right. you guys, when you guys were making music, you were going to New York on the strength. Mm -hmm. So it was no different. I didn't think I was going to be in the NBA necessarily when I was playing ball in Oakland and Richmond, but I play with my heart. I gave it everything I got. When the money gets in there, it's just the business. You know, I'm coming from Hollywood. I'm coming from, that's just, I'm from Cali. And you see it every day. It's a machine. Right. So yeah, you start, it's, it's diluting the process now. So what you guys did organically out of your, for free and for fun, when nobody was looking, that's right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You, what we do when nobody's looking. Right. I, I got a podcast. That's what it's called. What we do when nobody's looking. Right. <laughs> and, it's, right. It, and it's and we look. When you want to know what your passion is and your heart is, you pay attention to the things you do when nobody's looking. Now everybody's looking. And right. There's paper. Yeah. Now there's people that hate hip hop mm -hmm. that run the label. That is the machine that. That pays everything. And everybody yeah, thinks, the and, and the microwave roast beef mm -hmm. is all they've ever known. Yep. Okay, y'all, there's one more thing oh. I want to ask you before we get out of here. Yes. Did you produce Bad Boy for Life for Diddy? Because I always heard this story that it was your beat. Yes. So let me shed, you know how there's like his story, her story, and then the truth lies somewhere in the middle? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Tonight, call me Paul Pierce. I'm the truth. Okay. See, I know the story. Though. So, mm -hmm. I was signed to a publishing deal, as we spoke about earlier, to EMI um, in London, England. Okay. And the head of A and R at that time was this dude named Fat, and he was shopping my beats. Okay. He was always shopping my beats. And he was in New York, and he had played it um, for a few people. Bad Boy was one of the labels. 
And the beat basically had the hook at the beginning of the song. That's the way I did all my beat tapes back then in order to try and, you know, and, and the hook was, it's Frankie and oh, no doubt, check, check it out. Not much different than P. Diddy's version. Right, we, we ain't going. I mean, so what ended up happening is one day I'm sitting in Shockler's studio downtown off of Adelaide and Bishop the greenhouse comes in and is like Frank you gotta hear this because that Frankie Anno track was supposed to be for Shockler we are gonna change it's Frankie Anno to it's the Chisnot no doubt check check it out anyway before we get a chance to put it out it's right there sitting on Bad Boys you know what I mean record and, and it's playing everywhere and I'm like what the fuck's going on? That, so, you, that song was huge too. Still. So I call up. Now just to be crystal clear about it, they didn't sample my joints. Not okay. like they, not like they lifted the beat identically. Mm-hmm. They recreated it with their own, their own sound, their yeah. own kick, their own snare, their own. You know, but the melodicness and the flow of the beat was undeniable where they got it from when you listen to it. So when I called Thad that same evening, I was like, "Yo, man," I was like, "Yo, what happened? Maybe we should get a lawyer, this and that." The only person in my camp that showed resistance to it was him. So Thad's like, nah, it doesn't really sound that similar to me. Yeah. And that's when it occurred to me right, yeah, that he had probably, and again, I can't, I can't prove this and never will be able to prove it. But I never heard from Thad since. So it makes me wonder. But that night, he was like, nah, it doesn't sound anything like... And I feel that that probably sold the beat to that boy. Ah. Let me tell you something, man. Without me knowing. Let me tell you something. It's undeniable. The listeners out there, if you hear this, I wish I had to play it over It's so undeniable. I'm going to send it to you. Even yeah. though, okay. Uh, 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 No, it's the exact same. Same. They just replayed it with no their change. own. It's exactly the same. I know I heard it, I was like, yo, get the lawyer right now. You pay, you got him. But, you know, wow. it's the industry, industry rule, number 4,080. Again, the business. Wreck a couple of people. Uh, say, I'd, always, I'd always heard that story, man. So right? I didn't know if to watch it back. If it was true or not. Because, you know, they yeah. smoke crack. I, I don't doubt you. it. You got to finish. Look at how they yeah. act. Yeah. That's right. That was it right in the life. No, that's when you, those songs, you breathe and live in hip-hop. That was, like, right in that, man. Oof, I, I got to tell you, crazy, I, was, was, I was disappointed yeah. more than any other point of, like, in my musical career at that point. Right. Uh, enough to make me question whether I should continue doing it because from an honorable perspective I could never imagine taking another man's anything for any reason you know I mean? right. without at least paying homage with it. and then when I look back I realize that the blame wasn't with Bad Boy my gut tells me that Bad Boy paid for the track it just didn't get to me yeah right. it went through yeah yeah. Right, so that so we don't call you back, you know. Right. So that, I hear from that one time. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It's somewhere in the middle there because nice. I, I was never able to prove it one way or another. But you know, it was pretty self-evident when the guy that was repping my beats felt that it hadn't. You know what I'm saying? His language was really specific. It doesn't sound anything like it to me. And I just told you it's undeniable. Right. So the first note, you know. Right. When when he said that to me, I'm like, Where, that? we're on the same team, dude. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean it doesn't sound like me? He's like, I don't know if I get to stretch. Uh, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's like having, you know, catching somebody with your girl and you saw it with your own eye, but they're still denying it. And things they knew we were over here, they were over there, even though we're back and forth. So you know there's that distance, you know what I mean? That yeah. little buffer zone, enough of a buffer zone. That's right. I, and listen, to be honest Not with you, I engaged enough, right? a lawyer. The story goes on a little further. So I engaged a New York Manhattan lawyer 
And the real problem was, like any other struggling musician at the time, he wanted like a $20,000 retainer to get started. Right, yeah. I wasn't getting any help from that. It was the A&R guy that was helping me, and I didn't have $20,000 to give to a lawyer to go after Bad Boy. Like, you had to remember, like, what we were dealing with. So I was like, will you, you know, take it on contingency or anything like that? This lawyer was like, no, I ain't trying to do anything like that. You pay me retainer, I'll go after them. Other than that, we you know ain't with it. I just saw something, but we talked about it. You know, and so oh, you learn, right? This right. some of the things that you learn. And then up until then is when we were really careful about who we leave beat tapes with and who we leave any materials with. That was one of the first jackings of Toronto, like, when we talk about that sounds and Toronto stuff that got jacked. That was like, that was so one I look at that as a shame because it really, the what they came out with, what would have been considered Toronto sound for Shot Claire. Right. And that That's what disappointed me more. Like, again, at the time, I wasn't even thinking about the money. I was more thinking like, this could have set us off a bit. Because even it takes two is taken from Michi Me. That's that right. That was the first one Howard did because Michi on this mic had to drop us. Yeah. Woo! So that was on that. I was first played all over the radio three times a day. And that's and the then, fucked up part of the industry. Rock game, boom, right? But that was yeah. another jacking of Toronto sound. That was like the 87 jack. So you got so it got straight, 92. straight from the horse's <laughs> mouth, so to speak. So, so do you still make music? Of course. Yeah? So I'm in the studio, and my boy here can attest to it. I would say at least like three, four times a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'd be there more often if I can. Like, you still riding this shit, too? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Like, are we going to hear a Frankie Anna record or what? Well, you know what? I think you're going to be surprised over the next little while. Because, A, I got a lot of unreleased stuff. Well, you guys put out the Delphi Oracle. Like, That's uh, right. That was a, what? An EP? So, wait. Was that the album that you guys were... The demo that you guys were shopping when you guys were younger? No, so everything that you hear on the Delphi Oracle, with the exception of Peace and Quiet, were just demos. Okay. They were never pressed. They were never intended. It was almost like Frankenstein's work with AZ before... I was ready for the world to hear it, okay. so to speak. You know what I mean? It's like, to be honest with you, and I know it's getting me some love now, nothing that I made was then, for me, was good enough to go out. I mean, that's how we were, that's how we scrutinized stuff. So it's like, we would do stuff like, that's not good enough, that's yeah, not good enough, that's not good enough, mm-hmm. that's not, not good enough. So we have a ton of material. Now mm-hmm. cats are just saying, hey, I'd like to see where that came from. Mm-hmm. But that's a little different. Right. It's, it's not the actual work that we would have ever pressed. And that gives you, a, you know what I mean, an idea. It's like we were in the game, we were doing it, bro. It's the making of. Because, yo, we were talking about, like, I was telling you earlier, man, like, Remy's my homeboy, and he told me the story. Like, one time you took him somewhere, and I don't, I'm not sure if it was France or maybe London, and, you know, he comes back and he's like, yo, you know Frankenstein is like a star out there, eh? And I'm like, he's like, yo, man gets, man's gets mobbed and shit, man. Like, I'm like, nah, he's like, yo, I swear to God, man. It was, you know what? So we were always really good at trying to bring cats with us, obviously, as this thing was developing. One of the shows that we did, I don't know if it was ever repeated, but DJ Grouch, um, who's the other DJ? You know the DMC champs? Um, yeah. um, what's his name? Fucking, oh, man, from um, Little Jazz. Jazz. Little Jazz oh, and okay. his cousin. Oh, D-Scratch. D-Scratch, D-scratch. yeah. So yeah. we put them all First on stage. Stars. First stars. Yeah, well, shout out. At the time, DJ Grouch was one of their biggest competitors. Because they always go into the DMCs, you know, and battle each other. Okay. So one of the shows that we decided to do was like, yo, we're gonna put them together on stage with us. And Remy was at that show, so it was I think one of the first times ever that you had like the winner of the DMC and the two runner-ups on stage backing me, the rapper. And 
Um, I don't think the audience was quite ready for that kind of skill level mm -hmm. at that time. Like I mean, so I can't take all the credit for the love because they were, you know, they associated those guys with me. But we were family, obviously. Right. Um, but our records were getting killed out in like like France, London, Japan. We actually had way more notoriety out there than we ever did in Toronto. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, it was almost like it felt different to be out there and to be appreciated in that way. Like my goodness, like what do you guys? You know what I mean, doing here and then to come back and not tw quite get that. Interviews of different languages and stuff coming back in France and covers of one of the magazines, the UK magazines, and then rap page spread, and then you're back in Toronto and we're looking around like, oh, like you ain't done nothing. It was like, but you had this confidence, you knew, because it was like, well, you know what, your peers that you wanted. Like Pete Rock is calling him, man. You know what I'm saying? This guy's calling him. It, it was crazy. All the mentors, right. Primo's like, Primo yo. gives us shout outs on the back of the Biggie records. record. Primo's still like hailing us up. Yo, that's, that Frankenstein, that's my record. That, this, thrust. That's, so you was the same time. I was like, well, you know what? I'm in the circle of people I wanted to be in, in anyways. Word. Yeah. Like guys would come yeah, up and give you a pound like they were touching someone special. Like yeah. it was kind of crazy. Like, it was a very strange feeling to have somebody that you've never met ever yeah. look at you like you belong to them. Ooh. That was like the feeling, you know what I mean? It was like they would look in your eyes and be like like thanking you, you know what I mean? And, it, Word. and whatever it was, like, you know, a lot of the records, like I said, had a lot of emotions, you know what I mean? Like, where life can't stand the pain or the struggle. Yeah. No matter what I do, I seem to find trouble. A lot of times that speaks to a lot of people, you know what I mean? So the records we were making were you know, affecting them subliminally, you know I mean, on a way that they would connect and be like, I'm where you were at. You know where mm -hmm. you were at in that verse? I was there. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? That's when you connect with your audience in a way that's, that's magical. It's you know, funny, you know what? Because there was this, I don't know, it was a BBC show. It was about music or whatever, like the whole series, but there was one about production. And the guy was saying, like, music that makes people feel, evoke, like, music that evokes an emotion is always the shit that's like, like, you know, your Adele's and your Amy right. Winehouse's and shit like that, right? Like, and so, and that's funny because the Frankenstein, I always felt, maybe, even like UV and shit, yeah, man, yeah, like, yeah. there's joints off of there that, Spark you know? Intellect. Spark the intellect, yeah. The vibe of that record. That, oh, I don't know what it is. I can't even put my hands. That's, that's how that it record was. drives me crazy, dude. That record, like, this is crazy. And to this day, that's how we do what we've always done. So I guess even when Thrust and I get together and we do stuff together, and I think that's why we're compelled by one another. It doesn't give you a feeling. If it doesn't give you an emotion, you walk away from it like with something, then why create it? I mean, you right. Put it in the trash, man. As far as I'm concerned, that's where the that's my line. Of music. If I'm not feeling it, I don't care where it's at. If I'm not feeling it, oh yeah, it's in the trash. I don't want to even hear right, it. Right, right, right. I don't want. Don't even play it. My girl know that, my kid, my daughter, my mom, my aunt, like, I'm just like that in life. My movies, everything, that's my hero. Right. It's like, high standard kids like that, we have to like, yo, man, we just don't want it like that. That's I can't accept mediocrity, and that's why I say people accepting what's mediocre. Oh, what's kind of, I don't want, why does that have to be kind of? No. Give me the joint or don't give me nothing. I'll take silence. It's crap. I don't need to hear me. Then I wouldn't listen to music for three years. If it was, if it was crap, no good music, I just wouldn't listen to music for three years. I listen to talk radio. I do some other stuff. That's why I'm in my car too. No good music around my car. I'm listening to three hours of talk radio. That's right. Then I get my new fresh new music. I'm back to my fresh new music. I don't. I can't accept ordinary. Cause that's hip hop to me. You ain't. My energy people say this shit. My hip hop shit. That's why I look and say, dude, I can't accept being ordinary. How do you accept being ordinary? 
to me, the energy of hip hop is not extra being, is, yeah. it's being extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Being, no matter what the area, and you see the extraordinariness and that coolness. That's the coolness of it. That whether you're a DJ, rapper, even you don't even have to do the music, you can see that aura of that person. Like, yeah, wow, that's, yeah. that's an extraordinary dude, man. You yeah, know what I mean? Like that's that's what being cool is to me. Imagine the these new cats coming out. Let's just sit for a second and say, imagine they took that process one step further. What they're doing, it's it's good. It's selling a lot of records, but can you imagine what they could do with it if they refined it just a bit more and not right. settle for like, hey, you know what? This was a program. You know what I mean? On my Fruity Loops, and I just jazzed it up. And well, okay. Well, you still make music. You still make beats and stuff too. I still make beats. What do you What are you using these days? SP-1200. Still? Still. I got MPC-3000, MPC-4000. I still use the EPS-16+. Plus. Um, I got a bunch of synthesizers like the Moog. Uh, so you don't use like any computer programs or nothing? I. You know what's crazy? I got the latest Logic. Okay, okay. okay. And I use Logic the way you would use a reel-to-reel, -reel, a tape machine. Yes, yeah. okay. So it's just a tape machine for That's me. That's it. So I play stuff live into the computer. Right. And so it's like... You know, the beats get banged out live. No quantizing. As much... I almost eliminate the computer's involvement in the process. Yeah, no quantizing. Just to repeat and, and, what he said. Yeah. <laughs> as little as possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. just raw into the... into Just the way we did it back in the day. Always do it, right? Still sampling and all that? Yeah, yeah. Still sampling. Yeah? Yeah. Still sampling. I sample my own stuff. Meaning, like, I'll play stuff. Right, 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 right. And then sample it through... Again, this comes down to the process, you know what I mean? Um, dudes don't know how to layer kicks, you know what I mean? Like 808s with this, or layer snares, or, you know what I mean? The, just the essence of the computer's involvement in the interaction of it is as limited as possible, because that's where I feel it, it starts to mess with the vibe of it. Right. And sonically, yep. especially, you know what I mean? Because you gotta figure, when a computer is capturing whatever it's capturing, it's capturing it in the digital domain. Right, right. analog to digital converters, right? So you got those conversion steps, right? And we know that CDs, let's say, for example, MP3s are not even as clear as MP3s. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Right? So, not to be over-scientific, but a CD is sampling a sound at 44,000 times per second. So it's like taking a pixelated snapshot yeah, of sound. Yeah, yeah, Right? Tape is infinite. So what you're getting is a pixelated sound when you're listening to digital. The same. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So tape, the reason why it sounds the way it does is what goes to tape is sounds that you can't even hear. Mm -hmm. The digital spectrum doesn't capture anything below 20 hertz and anything it. above, but you feel it. So if you hear a Bob Marley record, there's stuff happening in the air in the wave drum. You're not even hearing it, but it's hitting you. It's hitting you. So organically, when you go to that digital room, there's a whole bunch of stuff that your body's missing. It just doesn't know it's missing. Right, right, right. Which right, is right. why those records don't last as long. Yeah, but that's the thing, too. Nowadays, you got kids. That's why those records die quick, dude. They yeah. sample MP3s and do all that kind of stuff. So from jump, it's already. So you, hit quick, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So, but yeah, I'm steady in the lab. I still got the turntables out. I have all the records. I got, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 crates of break beats and jazz records. Right. And, so my process is always the same. Before I make anything, I'll always listen to stuff that inspires me. Right. So I'll, okay. I'll go. I'll go from playing a Gangstar record to playing a Doors record. You know, I might go from playing a Tribe Called Quest record to playing a Miles Davis record. John, you know, I'll pick up the album cover of John Coltrane as he's standing there with his instrument and hearing his stuff, and I try and play. What's this man thinking when he's there? Like what? Like what is he experiencing? Can I create that? 
So I have a real personal connection with, you know what I mean, a lot of those records because that's the frame of mind I put myself in right. before I start creating what I do. Right? And it allows me to transcend me as an individual and be part of something bigger. The bigger is like what they've created, all these other, as I put down those records, energies like moving around me. And right. then all I do is I go along for the ride. So it's like a conduit. What they've just created and sound around me, as my fingers touch keys, or it's like those are the sounds that I'm in that world revolving around. And I create something that I feel is in that energy field. Like, do you ever play beats for other dudes and stuff? Like, like if Thrust comes by, you play beats for Thrust? Or oh, yeah. like, Thrust, if, Theo, we'll come, if, if Theo comes by or some oh, shit yeah. like that, yeah, you know what I mean? Course. Frank I mean, is the first, he's always like, he's the first dude, man. So I always, 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 always share, man. Yeah, and I play stuff for cats and stuff. <coughs> Excuse me? I'd like to see what hits them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I want to know, is it just hitting me or is it hitting you too? When you first met him, did you do that? Yeah. Right away, man. You come right away. Come downstairs to the base, come down to the basement. Boom, like, like, tell me what you feel. I want to start go behind. He loves it because he's he like, no, 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 we're going to get new music, so that's dope, he's man. He's sharing, man. He's sharing, man. All right, yo. Anything else? Like, you on Instagram, you on the social media shit, you know? You know what? I'm only on Facebook, to be honest okay. with you. Um, but I am kind of thinking, along with some of my boys, to get relevant and current. Right. So, right. Um, a big part of the reason why I haven't been there is I haven't felt a necessity in the sense. Because I haven't been using music as a way to get known mm-hmm. or get my stuff out there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can't say, and actually I can't remember who I was speaking to, whether it was Logic or a few other cats have said this to me, and, and I'm in agreement with them. I make music for myself, that's true, but it's a bit of a selfish way to look at it. In essence, when you have what you create, sharing is a big part of music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel that I haven't been good in the sharing department over the last X amount of years. So right. when I started off, as sharing and letting the world know what I'm about, I end up kind of being a hermit around it, just being like, I'm going to do it, I'm doing it for me. Not for an A&R, not for Sun Records, not for anything. And it occurred to me that in 2017, because of the technology, ironically enough, mm-hmm. I can do it that way still. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and just find the same people that share the same passions I do around it. And it doesn't have to be tied into a lot of the negative stuff that goes along with all that stuff. So kind of they kind of broaden my scope of it and being like, it can be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be locked in a box. Right. It can, right, right. It, it can have its space to breathe without feeling that it's going to be. You understand, man. We started off recording in the same studios that the Rolling Stones recorded. That's Those true. records, man. We was on them big knees, spending hundreds of dollars, phase one. Mm-hmm. Like, we was doing that, taking our money. Young people, man, mm-hmm. driving to New York. Like, so... Now it'll be like at home, I just go on distro, distro kid or do this, and blah, 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 blah. I'm on every format in 48 hours. Turn on my Mac, I can do all this stuff without, it's wild. Like we have to pay, it's, 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 it's inspiring. Yeah. So that's why I think a lot of people will be coming out like, yo man, I got all this stuff, because people been sitting on mad stuff, just like, that's they right. even had the energy to put it in the marketplace, and because you know the energy's gonna take to put out there, and then just like we talking about earlier, the ears, right? Well, much like this podcast, that's how that goes, gentlemen. Yes. So, all right, on that note, man, let's yes, get out sir. of here. Russ, it's another, yo, yo interview. Sorry, we've taken where so Where do they long. find us? Where do they find us? Where do they find yo, us? Yo, SoundCloud, you can find us. And, of course, on iTunes, subscribe, comment, rate. It's under what? Education? Five, five stars. Yeah, I think it's under education. Yeah. So. Rate us, man. Remember to rate us, man. Appreciate the love. Yo, we got people calling. Yo, I'm going to say no names. We'll let Carl from Australia to like NYC, 
People loving the podcast, international, home ground. Yeah, I've got a lot Thank of good you for the energy, too, people, man. man. And so. we doing this because, you know, it's a personal thing for us, but, you know, we just got to do this, man. This something just got to be done for the people who's there because we got a story to tell, you know. Exactly. All right. On that note, we're out of here, y'all. Peace. Yo. Four to six. Peace. Peace.